This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Boom Rookies. I am Matt Bungard, and alongside me, as always, Mitch Doyle. Hello. Good day, everybody. And given that it was the uh, first show we've done after the finals began, uh, in our pre-show meeting that we have every week, because we take this very seriously, I said to Mitch, I said, Mitch, we should probably get someone on from one of the teams that won this weekend. He said, yeah, good idea. I said, oh, we'll get Em Sprouster on. Surely the Storm won. He said, Matt, no. They didn't win. I said, oh, okay. All right, well, we'll get Dean Robb or Grayson Moore. One of the Roosters fans come on. Surely they won. He said, Matt, no, they also did not win. And so I said, oh, what? You're telling me the Canberra Raiders and the South Sydney Rabbitohs won those games? And he said, yes, Matt, they did. And I'm glad I was sitting down at the time because otherwise I may have fainted from the shock. So with that in mind, Nick Hampton, welcome. Always nice to be the uh, third string choice. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mate, they, the final... they always write you guys off. They never, never <laughs> they always doubted you. Never backed no you. No one yet. believed in us. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> no nobody except the, way, the 17 fuck... fellas in these four walls. Exactly. <laughs> and fuck the Paramount Eels for letting our underdogs multi down, by the way. The no, no. It. Fuck the Eels. It's, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, we would have been wealthy had they won. And we'll, well start not me. Because... I'm not on the underdogs. Multi. No, you're not allowed to gamble, but the rest of us would have been. Yeah, I saw um, like points bet did something that every person on the sum was on, that if your hmm. underdog scored first, you got paid. And yeah. I think it was still just the Eels that screwed everyone because Sevo bombed a try, so... Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, the other feel one, sorry for so. the bookies, you know. It's it's tough <laughs> it's, when that happens. Yeah. They're, going, they're really going through some hard times. Yeah, the know, only the only yeah, the only time I can ever imagine them not making bank was during Volandi's ball when everyone just cleaned up on Gordy same game multis every week because eight forwards would score a try in every game. But even yeah. then, they probably still made money. Yeah, and uh, just it's a tough week for the bookies, mate. Them and the, cons- yeah. the casino has to follow some laws now. Apparently, that's that. pretty crazy. What do you mean we can't launder <laughs> money? If there was a law against that, they'd have a. They'd have a crime called money laundering or something. Yeah, and they presumably. wouldn't have casinos if you couldn't launder money anyway. That's true. You ever, <laughs> were you ever there as like a night? Like you'd see, um, you'd see like the dudes who were clearly had their cash through ill-gotten gains go up and try to buy someone's pokies off them. Like they'd be like, "Oh, you've got twelve hundred in that machine. Here's fifteen hundred dollars cash to just walk away and let me take it." Yeah, they That's they never came to me for my six dollars twenty. No, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> That's surprising. <laughs> they offered me eight dollars for my six twenty. It was yeah. a whole weird thing, but I've been waiting. Listen, I was there all the time waiting for it. Listen, shady guy with a wallet full of cash. If I get eighteen more chilies, we'll talk. <laughs> If your name's Shady Guy with a wallet full of cash, you've got to go into that industry, though. Like That's your destiny, true. You really... Your destiny chooses you at that point. What should we call him? He just looks like a Shady. Uh, no, we remember our first casino experience when you could put, mm. like, when we were 18, 19, you could, there were still $10 tables, you know? And even That's then, you're true. like, Jesus Christ, so what are we doing here, fellas? Yeah. And you go I... there and you're like, you, you lose on red on roulette, you lose 20 bucks, and you're like, have yep. a breakdown. And some dude's lost four grand. I remember... Just, because our, our our local workers club was one of those ones when you were a kid that had like the when when you're a kid when you were like when when we were teenagers that had one of the actual roulette wheels with the machines if you get me so like the the ball would pop up and spin around in an actual roulette wheel but you could gamble on the terminals around it it was a hot scene when you were 18 19 years old i remember one night like it was like a whole bunch of us were down there like dozens and someone's like oh boys tom's gonna put ten dollars on a number and we were all like whoa oh, holy shit what a loose unit putting ten dollars on a single number on a roulette wheel um it's funny was that, that, re- that reeves workers it, of course it was 
Well, yeah, they still have that. I've uh, played that more recently than I'm proud of admitting. No, they got no. They don't <laughs> I'm have playing it wheel. right now. <laughs> no, no, Nick. Live they, from they the front bar of they, Leesby Workers. They still have roulette. The beers but are three fifty, and the good times are even cheaper. They still have roulette, but it's not a physical wheel anymore. It's video roulette, which I don't trust because it's a scam. And I'm surprised you do. Video ones frankly. still have the fake, like have a wheel. No, no, no. Like, no, no, no. It's like a screen with a virtual roulette wheel on it with okay. a fake deal. This was an actual physical ball and wheel in a terminal yeah. in the center of. We have seen those on video roulette, but there's a ball yeah still. with situations mm. like that i vacillate between thinking it's a scam and then thinking i can outwit machines that's true um and yeah i'll back myself against the machine this was programmed by some nerd i yeah, could tackle him it, so science, how can he best me here mate a science machine can't compete with me thinking and me vibing my way to victory you know what i mean that's true Using and me that's the story man. about how yeah. nick campton had to leave the abc and started working as a dish hand in the kitchens at reasonably workers <laughs> That was to launder money because you made so much. Ah. There you go, it all comes back. The circle has no ending. There's rugby league that happened. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, pretty important games. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, uh, yeah. Penrith won. Uh, I, look, it's, 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 you don't want to ever, hand, hand, you don't want to ever put games solely on one guy. And they probably would have lost anyway. But man, poor old, uh, poor old Wonga Blake uh, was probably worth about 12 to 18 points to the negative of his team out there on Friday. Well, one of those drops led directly to a try, mm. didn't they? That first one with, yeah. with and then Ron the second Tyler. one they scored and then went back to back. So that's yeah, like yeah, I, I I gotta tell you, this game left me a little bit cold. And not because Penrith didn't play well or because it wasn't a high quality fixture. I thought actually for the fifty odd minutes that power were in the game, it was actually quite high quality. It was really physical as well, which I normally really like. But I just felt like I've seen Penrith win this exact kind of game, this exact kind of way. 20 or 30 times over the last three years. It's a game where the opposition turns up, tries to match it with them in the physicality stakes, and they do it for about 50 minutes. Sometimes it's 30 minutes, sometimes it's 40 minutes. This time it was about 50. But eventually the opposition blinks and Penrith put on three tries in about five minutes and we're all just sitting there wondering what yeah. the hell happened. You know, I'd I'd they cruise to full time. Yeah. That's it. I'd love I, to, I, felt right. like, I felt like I'd seen this so many times yeah. that when it happened, I was just kind of, I don't know. It kind of just left me a little bit cold. Maybe I'm just getting bored of Penrith, which sucks because they're so good and I really respect and admire the way they play and mm. everything they've achieved. But yeah, it, it just it, it had a real sort of paint by numbers quality to it. This game. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there's so many games where they're up by six to eight with twenty to go, and you go, "Oh, the other, you know, the other team could be a chance here." And then Penrith win by twenty two or something. Well, so it's really weird that like you know a lot of people have accept we've accepted they're pretty much historically dominant that Penrith mm. team, and they've also played through a period of historical dominance where teams just winning by shitloads. They've only scored 50 twice in three years. That's weird. That's and doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, right, that number, but it's like teams were scoring the last two years were scoring 50 without even trying. And one and of those Penrith, was in Dubbo, so it doesn't count. <laughs> there you go. But it's like, and yeah, I'm not saying to discredit Penrith, but I'm with Campo on that point, and it's, I'm not trying to take a shot at them. Like, I've grown on their respect the last year or two. I defend them against other people's silly things. You know, people thinking their season was over because they lost Luai and Cleary for like four weeks was hilarious. What we clutch on to, to talk Penrith down. But I will say I'm hitting the level of disinterest mm. in not them winning because like I'd liked winning teams. Like I've found ways to enjoy when the Roosters are really good, when the Storm were good forever. But it's, yeah, I'd rather to see them for once blow the doors off a team rather than bludgeon yeah. them. It, mm. it kind of, the best modern day example I think of is kind of like when Spain were dominating world football and they just win every game 1-0 or 2-0 and just grind their way to victory after that. And there was 
that you could obviously respect them as a team, like we do Penrith, but there was an element to proceduralness about the whole thing. And it kind of does wear thin when you're just watching teams that just are just so much better that they can just do the same thing each week and not to take anything away from them because they are awesome. But you, you are right in the sense that we are seeing this happen quite a lot now. Yeah, it's no, it's no shots. It's no shots because they just they did, they did sorry, Jesus Christ, they did this exact same thing in the three finals games they won last year, and all three mm. of them were awesome games. You mm. know what I mean? And I, I loved the the physicality they played with, the recklessness for their own safety, the defensive strength, Cleary's kicking game, and Yo's passing, and all those things that are great about Penrith were really great and enjoyable. But if you watch anything enough times. You know, it, it starts to start to leave a little bit cold. I still think they'll win the comp, and I mm-hmm. still think they're one of the best teams I've ever seen. I'd put them up there with the best of Melbourne teams or the best of the Roosters teams of a couple of years ago. But there is just sort of like a blunt force quality to them that you know can maybe get a little bit stale for the for, for the neutral fan. You know. Yeah, I think like you know through my time as a footy fan, you know the last thirty odd years. The best teams I've seen, and obviously one of my bias on, but it's that late 90s, early 1000s Broncos team. It's obviously the uh, the the repeat Roosters, the back-to-back Roosters, and also the 2017 Storm and a few other scattering Storm sides through there. And Penrith definitely belong in that conversation. And if they win another comp, like you can't deny them, especially with their dominance they've had. But I reckon I enjoyed the footy of those other teams a little bit more, even though I do enjoy a lot of footy Penrith put on. Uh, it just, as you said, it feels like they just, they smash teams to pieces. They don't make mistakes. They play the way a co- every coach would love them. Yeah. Hard out. But sometimes mm-hmm. you just want to see a dude do something he wasn't, wasn't allowed to do. Like, you know, you want to see them play some, you know, eyes up footy garbage. You want to see something happen that feels really special. Whereas all the stuff that Penrith do that's special. It's like, oh, they did that 4,000 times and it came off. And that's cool. But I can tell you did that you've done that 4,000 times at training, you know? Whereas yeah. sometimes you want to sort of see them do cool shit. That's what we follow sports for. And it feels like we're shitting on Penrith, but they they it's really not. dominated this game. Uh, like Cleary's kicking game was amazing. That's another thing too. I sound like an old man here, but I'm finding it harder to respect his kicking game as one of the best I've seen when I keep seeing it disappear in State of Origin. As old man as that is, there's nothing to do with this game, but I respect mm. him less because of it. I don't know. I can't get, I can't separate the two, but like it's I weird. can watch him kick at teams to death every week at NRL level now. And he's yet to do it once in State of Origin. You know, he's had good kicking games in Origin, but like this year, nothing like we saw. He, yes, on yeah, Friday, this yeah. year he could have sworn he's wearing someone else's boots in that in the mm. Origin series. You know, yeah, you haven't you them. haven't you haven't seen his kicking game turn a narrow result. Oh, you haven't seen him turn like his kicking game in Origin turn a narrow loss into a narrow win. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's done that a thousand times for Penrith. You mentioned yeah. Wanga Blake a bit earlier there, Bungers. Oh I was out God. there at this game on on Friday. I do not blame Wanga Blake at all for dropping a single one of those kicks because every time Cleary puts up one of those screamers, all I can think of when you see it live is how the fuck does anybody catch one of these? How could anybody catch one of these? Mm, yeah. You know? I think the I mistake if, he made, if honestly, bigger... was, was actually trying to catch some of them. That's what, I was, that's what I'd say. I wonder, like, does it ever get to a point? Because it's, you don't let bombs bounce. Is like you hear that on every commentary every week. There's every point where you just maybe do let them bounce if you're probably <laughs> going to drop them. No, you do sometimes let them bounce, all right? Because like, what, okay, yeah. one of the ones he dropped like forty out. Yeah, and that's no, the other thing. Right? If it's near the try line, okay. Yeah. But like, if it's if them getting if it bounces the wrong way and the other team gets the ball back, it's still the last mm-hmm. tackle. They're nowhere near the try line. You'll yeah. probably be okay. 
Now, personally, yeah, I they... thought I thought the biggest failure was playing him on the wing in the first place. Like, yeah. I know he's had his ups and downs at Para, but I think he's been quite a good centre for them. For whatever reason, they seem to have gone off Bailey Simonson in the back half of the year, and they're playing Tom Opacek at centre and Wanga Blake on the wing. I know Bailey Simonson maybe isn't the greatest. I would, I'd say, but yeah, I'd say Tom Opacek isn't the greatest either. And I'd play if I'm if I'm playing Penrith and I'm getting the aerial assault, if I'm getting the bomb squad, then I want a winger on the wing. You know. Mm. Yeah, no, I do think it's a weird thing that you say that. Like, I know, I know they're trying to win games right now, right? But they decided like Tom Opacek's gone next year. Tom Bailey Somerset isn't like they've decided for long term they'd rather have Bailey in their squad. So it is weird that not like his form really downturned, but Simonson got dropped out of the team. And then Wonga Blake had some good games in the wing, but he's far more prone to a game like this when he's out on that wing, is it? In the, yeah. And, you know, he backs himself. And so some of those bombs he screamed in for, I reckon another guy having a stinker probably doesn't try and do what he did. But like the last one he dropped as well, like he had nobody near him. The last one he dropped was like running backwards, landing on the Eels 10, and there wasn't a Panther past the 30. It's like, dude, you, you honestly, again, you say you shouldn't let them bounce, but there is more odds of that bouncing back to you or bouncing dead than yep. it is going somehow taking line, a yeah. bounce back 20 plus meters, you yeah. know? And <laughs> if, if I'm, if I'm Souths in two weeks time, I'm saying Tane, just, just let it go. <laughs> Don't try to catch it. Would you tell AJ to try and catch it? Well, no, AJ catches everything. AJ's the best defensive okay. winger in the But in they're the never going to kick so. that way, right? That's they're like never, ever going to kick to trail or they're going to kick to the Tane Jackson yeah. corner the entire game. If we win, that is, yeah. which, but, and I, by the way, this, do you think that uh, this is how I feel just watching the way the, eels played in this game and i know they've beaten them before this year but not when it really truly matters i do feel like the raiders cowboys and souths are more equipped to sort of not fluke but jag a win against penrith if all their x-factor guys can turn up on one day more so than i see with Cronulla or Parramatta. i was wondering if you guys agreed with that i i disagree on canberra penrith penrith own canberra penrith i don't penrith don't just beat them they punk them like they bash mm. the shit out of them and then toss all their hair like they're their little brother. It's a, it's a, it's a real. I got a real thing about it because all Canberra ever want to do when they take, play Penrith is talk about how tough, how hard they are and how they're going to come out and smash them and really put it on them and then they never ever do. You know what I mean? Yeah. There is just something about Penrith that Canberra really, really can't get a handle on. I know no one can get really get a handle on Penrith, mm. but Canberra to me especially seem like they can't. The, 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 the three games they've played against them in the last eighteen months are probably the three worst performances that Canberra's had in the last eight Yeah, months. I'm just more being like, if, like, I think if everything, or if all the low percentage stuff you guys do comes off on the same day, you have a better chance than a couple of those other teams, just with the guys you have. But, I, I mean, I still that's think that's a Parramatta big are, are one of the better equipped to beat them. And we've seen it, like, obviously they've beaten them the last two times they played before mm. the, the this weekend's game. But also, they, you know, what was it, last year, they lost 8-6 in the finals. And mid-year, they lost 13-12 to the Eels. Mm. Like, I know what you're saying, that you'd rather have a team you think on their best can blow a team off the park. Yeah. But Parramatta have shown that they're one of the teams that actually can hang with Penrith really long. And potentially without one of Blake's mistakes in this game, they still hung, could have hung with them for most of that period. Who knows? And they've shown that. And then they've had some ability. There is some guys in, in, Pen, in the Eels' side and... They haven't got a lot of guys that have cracked the game open, you know, in their own half or similar. But if they get field position, they've shown that they can get points through Penrith yeah. going through that left edge. And they've I will say, that, like, in this game, they, they, you know, Sevo probably isn't used to 
getting someone who's as physical as him on him. I think that's actually going to work out Penrith's favor. Like twice in this game, I think Toro put Sevo over the sideline. And I think the first time it's ever happened to Sevo in his life. I can't believe that second one where he stays, stay, the one where Dylan Edwards knocked the ball out. I cannot believe he stayed in on that one. Like you watched it back and he just somehow like two or three different times, you're like, oh yeah, he's going to go out here. And he just didn't. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, yeah. And I've been a big fan of Dylan Brown this year, but think he both he and Gutho didn't have the best games in this one. Um yeah, Gutho reverted guess, back to what he was early in the yeah, year, didn't he? But I guess like I guess once Moses is out of that game, you pretty you you're you're making them extremely long odds to be able to come back into it, which is a shame. And we saw that probably with the Roosters as well later on this weekend. But I guess there's really nothing you can do about that when it happens. Yeah. Unfortunately for Pet like for Paramount, he said Moses went out, but that second half, like the the Param- Penrith just dominated possession mm. and you just don't get back in their games against them. You know, and Paramount have shown when they beat them, they actually found a way back into a game, but they started making mistakes and yeah, Penrith stay on top and they don't really like, they're one of those teams pretty comfortable. Like if they're up by 12, they don't really try and blow you away. Mm. You know, I, they I did obviously think, win this by 19, but. I do think something that Parra could have done a little better, bit, bit better. I think they got two in their own heads about going set mm. for set with Penrith and going in that mm-hmm. grind that coaches are always talking about. But that's not really Para's strength. Like Para are an offloading footy team. Like they offload a lot. They swing the ball from side to side really well because Marnie gives them great width and Mitch Moses gives them great width. I'm not sure of the exact number, but um, Jace NRL, Jason Oliver, the one of the great rugby league minds out there right now, put up a stat. I think Para only had about five offloads all night, and their season average is close to 12. You know, mm. I think they they sort of got in their heads about shutting up shop and playing tight football and it sort of went away from one of their strengths. And the thing is, if you just go set for set with Penrith, they'll You're beat you. Lose, you can't yeah. like you can't outgrind Penrith. That's their that's their biggest strength. You know, you've yeah. got to throw something unorthodox. You've got to throw something at them that they can't anticipate, that they haven't seen on video, that they haven't practiced defending for 10,000 hours. You know? Yeah. So I, I think, I, think that, I, I understand what they were going for, but I think that was a, a tactical mishap from Power. Yeah, when Parra beaten them, they've done that. They've taken, they've, they've gone on the to and fro, they've taken the punches, and then they've struck them with something. But they didn't really do that in this game, you said, mate. And they, the last few weeks, their form has come from the offloading being back in their game, and that was gone. So yeah, that was that wasn't uh, great to see. But I get Penrith though; they did really well, like attacking down that left edge as they do every week. And Cleary had probably his best NRL game of the season. I'd say. Yeah, he was awesome. He was awesome. No um, rust. And, who knew? <laughs> Fuck, that no was a rust, stupid yeah. narrative. Yeah, it was. But it was kind of weird how they, they seemed to let Cleary have so much time, though, as well. Mm. And, you know, I know sometimes players generate their own time, but it did feel like they weren't pushing up on him enough in that second half. And essentially in that, what, like five, ten-minute period, they scored those three tries, all pretty much through Cleary as the, as the fulcrum of those, and it was game over like that. Like, the effort on the Fisher-Harris try, who somehow, that guy's always pushing up in support. He was up in support. For one of the one of the drop Wanga Blake bombs for Christ's sake, but he's always pushing up in support. But effort on Cleary and that was piss poor. Yeah, I wonder if with because Para leaned very heavily on their on sort of their their best medals, very heavily on Campbell Gillard, yeah. Paulo, mm. and um, and Madison to the point where there are there are weeks where guys like Makahesi Makatoa, who's on the bench every week, only plays mm. about five or six minutes. So mm, I don't think yeah. it's a surprise that in a game where the intensity is a little bit up and the speed's a little bit up to see them sort of fall apart in terms of pressure and pushing up in the last 20 minutes of the game. You know, yeah. and the surprising part is like Nathan Brown seems to have completely fallen out. I was literally about there. to ask about Nathan Brown because yeah, because he's he a seems guy to me to be that guy. You throw him on perfect for 20 one minutes, of these games. Yeah. Dispel one of them and just wind him up and say, 
mate, go out there and like kill someone, rip clear his face off, race up and yep. get in his face and throw him on the dirt and let him know about it. Like he'd be mm. perfect for that. And, and you know, it, it, they needed him this week because Moses got hurt. But yeah, like you, you do feel like they're not getting enough out of that bench with Nakatara and Jacob Arthur barely featuring at all. But yeah, Nathan Brown's a weird one. I know he's going at the end of the year, right? But yeah, he's he's a dude who you just want there to go out, just do something for 15 minutes. He, he's a guy that can turn a game with his aggression if it's channeled in the right way. Well, it's off like the last seven minutes. What's the point? Yeah. It's often Doesn't... it's often not channeled in the right way, but like, <laughs> but like in it, like you know, if they end up getting back to the grand final, play Penrith again, I would rather have him to come on and do a madness for 10, 15 minutes than one of those other couple of guys like Jacob Arthur or Makatoa. So I don't know. All right, let's move on. Uh-huh. Uh, sure. Canberra, the people's team, Nick. Uh, they went down to Melbourne uh, in front of a ferocious home crowd of about 15 people and, and uh, got it done. Um, fantastic win. Uh, the last try. Did you like, because you know, I always complain to you about how Canberra scored bullshit tries against Souths. Yes, all I, I could do is all I could do was laugh when I watched the replay after the game and the last try because it wasn't happening against us. But that was a quintessential bullshit try. It camera. was, it was. But like, can you say it's a fluke if it keeps happening? Yes, <laughs> but if it keeps happening, Bungus, it happens all like you're not allowed to deliberately like head the ball all so the time, mate. You don't true. believe in luck. Why right? was his head there? You don't believe in luck, do you? Luck's for losers. Exactly right. And what are the Raiders this week? Winners. You got yeah, that's You've right. You've turned my own words against that's me. That's right. I've done it. Um, yeah. Yeah. This awesome, awesome win, though. Yeah. This was awesome. I I really can't believe not 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 just how how well Canberra played, but just sort of how composed they were through the whole mm-hmm. thing. Even though even though that there were there were some pretty ragged times in there, like when Coates got two in two minutes or when he scored just after half time, or when Asofa Solomona scored with 25 to go to give Melbourne the lead. Just because Canberra are who they are, I'm always expecting them to fall apart in some fashion, but they just really stayed the course. They kept sticking to what worked through the whole game. They stayed really composed. And I know you wouldn't say any of their tries were really well constructed, but I think a lot of them came through effort and energy and just, when Canberra do that, they're really, really hard to handle. And that, that's something they can fall back on in a way that they can never fall back on attacking structure or organizational smarts or anything like that. You know, they're at their core, they're a pretty basic team. If they just go, if they ever everyone goes hard and they all go as hard as they can for as long as they can, things generally work out. And that's what happened in this game, you know. And I kind of knew yeah. I knew that something like I was really confident in it for this one all week, just because I, I thought Melbourne were a bit soft in the middle. And I thought the Tapane was going to show up because he's shown up all year. And I was expecting a really big one from Papali'i as well. That's exactly what they got. So I was feeling good about it all week. But the moment when I thought, okay, well, they're really, really on here was when Canberra turned him away in the first 10 minutes for multiple sets. And Melbourne was throwing a fair bit at him. Mm-hmm. And then the first set where Canberra get the ball back, Tapane offloads to White and he finds Timoko and he throws Munster into the land of wind and ghosts and, and ends up scoring. You God, know, so... Great. When think, that kind of um, happened, I thought, yeah, we're on here. Like, this is this is happening again. Like, Amy it, Park is once again the house that Canberra built. Yeah. I mean, your two big boys in the middle there were both absolutely brilliant. Tarpane especially. He's probably the prop. He, he's probably the prop of the year. And it's quite funny. Like, obviously, we, with our little Twitter and Discord circle and that stuff, we, we might potentially see more niche opinions than others when it comes to rugby league. But he somehow seems to still be flying under the radar to the point where, like, Fox didn't even include him in their player of the weekend poll, which was, you know, I thought was ridiculous because he was 
by a distance the best player in this game. And he has been such an excellent player all year round. Um, I mean, is it just because he's a prop? Is it because he plays for Canberra? It's probably a combination of both, I'd guess. But either way, yeah, he's he might be the most underrated player purely by the fact that he's not being talked about the way he should be, which is as one of the top three to five middles in the world right now. Well, I, I think I think he's had the best season of any forward in the oh, competition. Yeah. Like Yo's been great and Murray's been great and there's been a lot of guys who have had good seasons. But mm. what Tarpanay's doing is is something really special. I think it's the best season I've ever seen a Canberra Raider, Raiders player have. Like Terry wow. Campisi had eight great weeks back in 2008. Clint Shikoski nearly won the Daly M in 2003. Bateman was great a couple of years ago. Hodgson was great a couple of years before that. But in terms of week to week, Every week, every game, Tarpanay's tough. Like I've never seen any Raider play like Tarpanay's playing right now. And it's not just the meters, right? The meters are great. There's a lot of guys that can get meters, mm. but it's 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 little things. It's 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 the little one percenters. Like he was the one that jumped up and tapped back the short kick off after the um, Jordan Rapp and a try. You know, it's the passing, like the offload for White and all the short ball for for Whitehead's try. Like it's just. It's not just meters. It's not just grunt. It's it's mm. it's everything. I'm, I've got it up there with with any any forward season, any season that any forwards ever had. To be honest yeah. with you, and, and they and wouldn't in, they wouldn't be here. They wouldn't be here without him because there was a couple and, of games there where he single handedly either yeah. kept them in it or turned a loss into a win. And, and in I these can't games that matter, in these games that matter, he's playing like an hour as well. Like he's just well, he played. I think he played the first four effort, five straight, and then was back on for the last. To, 15. To, like, it's it's like to have that level the whole time you're on the field for that long as well is what's been particularly impressive about him and he's just involved in everything good that happens like you go back a couple of weeks that night's game he wins you that game with that burst through the middle like there's this every week even just as you said beyond the meters he does something cool something that positively affects the outcome and it's hard to find guys that can do that on a week-to-week basis and yet a guy a prop no less is doing that for you guys i've been on quite a journey with with tapenade because like i think everyone you think he won the mitch barnett trade you know what? I think we might have got away with that one, Bungers. <laughs> but the thing with Tarpanay is like, Tarpanay's always been really talented. Like, I, I quite liked him at Newcastle even before he signed with Canberra. And he was one of those ones where I was like, oh, shit, I can't believe that we got him. This is really cool. But for years after he after he was at the Raiders, I, I found him really, really frustrating. I, I thought he was yeah. a really frustrating player. I, he couldn't seem to to come up and, and, and take a spot either as a second row or as a prop. For years, I thought second row was his was his best position. I loved him out on the edge one-on-one um, at smaller guys with his mobility and all that. But I thought he was, um, I thought he got lazy when he was tired. I thought he loved, um, if he couldn't, if, he, if Canberra were losing, he would get frustrated and start picking fights and stuff like that. Mm. And even in 20, even in 2019, when he had a pretty good season, I, I still didn't think we were getting anywhere near as good, a foot, as good football as we could. And, it probably wasn't until about halfway through 2020 when Josh Papali, he, he, he got injured. I don't remember exactly what it was. And he missed about a month of footy. And Tarpanay was the one who, who really stepped up and stepped into that breach, you know. And ever since then, he's just gone from strength to strength. And the, to see him grow as a player and as a man as well is, is, um, is one of the great things about footy is when you see that happen. When you see someone become the best version of themselves, as a player and 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 off the field as well, you know I can't believe that now I want Joseph Tarpanay to captain the Raiders. If you'd said that to me two years ago, I'd have thought you'd have rocks in your head. Mm. But he's that's that's what he's grown into, you know. And Canberra might lose this week, and they probably won't win the grand final this year or anything like that. But I'll never I'll never forget what Tarpanay's done for him. Never. Yeah, well, you, you say there with him like he 
it's only a random benchmark, but you know, he didn't average a hundred meters for his season in his career until 2020. Like you mentioned there, like he'd had these years where he have really good games, but a consistent forward at least gets that, you know, yeah. and brings those numbers up, but he'd have these periods of, he'd look like this guy for two or three weeks. And then he looked disinterested for three weeks. And that hasn't been there the last couple of the years, you know, he's been really good, but honestly, his ascendancy prop pretty much comes in that, the Warriors game wasn't his best game. That that's the game that you know a lot of you Raiders fans thought you were spoon contenders, and fair enough. You know you two and six. You just lost that game to the Warriors. Corey Horse was the only guys ripping in. It looked like you know the week later against the Dogs. You know two hundred meters, and then he has heats at this massive month. Like the from like south the South Eels, Roosters, Broncos, Knights games just flattened those other teams in all of those games in that month, and they didn't win every single game in that period. But he got them off on the right foot. And the game on the weekend, mate, like to, for him and for those, all that team to defend as much as they did at the start of the game and the moment they got possession to crack the other team open, like that stuff takes effort on effort for big fellas. And he's done that weeks in a row when they've needed him. You know, that every time they needed him now, pretty like he didn't play all that Penrith game when you guys lost. When he went on after 30 minutes, he didn't come back. I don't know why he didn't come back. But when they've needed someone, they've turned to a front rower and Hudson Young. Like a lot of the time, like they've turned to two forwards and it makes no sense. But those two guys are mean massive of the run Canberra on. And in this game, that first half he played is one of the finest front rower halves I've ever seen in rugby league. And that's again with a team that were backs against the wall for 30 minutes of it. And he's still carved up. It doesn't make any sense. Well, Canberra don't make sense. That's the thing. If you they look for if you look for patterns, if you look for 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 you know fundamentals, if you're looking for the the things that good rugby league teams do that you can replicate, Canberra don't do any of them, but they win anyway. Like they just, yeah. they exist out of time. They're like a living paradox, man. They're, they're chaos theory incarnate. It's fucking awesome, bro. It really is. I love winning finals. I'd like to take this opportunity. Mm-hmm. I want to tell everyone this. I watched this game at the Crown Hotel in Camden, right? With all my old shit kicking Camden crew. And when Canberra won, I don't mind telling you, I went absolutely crazy. I was carrying on. So you did. I would like to take this opportunity to apologize to absolutely fucking nobody because when your team wins a final, when they yes. beat Melbourne in Melbourne, it is your civic duty as a rugby league person yeah. to fucking turn it up. And turn it up, I did. I'm very happy for you. Um, uh, you know, Campo, the next morning in the shower, I thought, would I trade one of the Broncos premierships, just one of them, for having the Raiders run over Melbourne and Melbourne? And I think I fucking might, which is terrible. Wow. Wow. Like, really? Fuck is it's wrong close. with you? It sounds dumb, That's but it's insane. just one of them. That is insane. But there's nothing better in rugby league than beating him down there, honestly. There is. Oh, well, mate, the, the thing is, I, I don't ever fucking I would, do it. I wouldn't know. I don't know what that feels like. So well, I wouldn't trade actually... one of those, right? But the fact I had that thought is like, yeah, I would trade it's, nine it's of South's <laughs> premierships for winning once at Amy Park. Yeah. The thing is, it's a it's a real sign of respect for what Melbourne are and 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 what yeah. they've achieved because having having watched a team do it many times now, every time you win down there, it feels massive even if it's not a final if it's just a regular season game it feels like a real achievement even if melbourne are struggling even if it's a melbourne team like this one which was struggling along and and had done their best to sort of paper over a lot of the cracks in their roster it doesn't matter because melbourne are melbourne and because 
Amy Park is such an intimidating place to play for a lot of teams. Like I feel like a lot of teams are beaten before they even go down there. You know, they psych themselves out about it or whatever. But again, Canberra just don't make sense. They don't make sense. What works on everyone else does not seem to work on them, you know? And yeah, yeah. other teams go down there, mate. They play they play scared, mate, and they and they play cautious. Yeah. They play afraid of making mistakes and end up making mistakes. My team does it every time they play Melbourne. They probably play really conservative at the start of the game and try to hang in the balance or whatever. The Raiders don't give a fuck. The Raiders play their game when they play the Storm. And honestly, I think, as you said, the Storm, such respect, they're not used to teams taking it to them. And that's the same period when the Sharks went through a period of when they beat the Storm when it made no sense. It's because they just take the game to them. It doesn't happen yep. to them, especially down there. And you guys go down there with no fear. And you, you crossed half, like the 40 meter line twice in the first 30 minutes and you scored both times. It's ridiculous. Crazy. Crazy. You, yeah. And like, I, I don't know, I don't know if this was an intentional thing that Canberra were planning to do, but spotting up Nick Meaney in the line all the time was just a really smart Genius. way of doing things because it was really smart. It makes me think it was just something that happened rather than something they planned, you know, but yeah. Jamal Fogarty got over him for a try. I thought this was probably Fogarty's best game for the Raiders, like his most complete game. He ran around the park really well. Whitehead got over Meaney as well for a try. Thought it was Whitehead's best game in several years. That, Not just in attack, but in defense as well. Like, like he was putting on shots like it was 2017 again. He was fantastic. And I've been a big critic of his this year because he has looked old and washed up a couple of times, but I thought he was fantastic. I know I said I laughed a lot at your final try, but I also laughed quite loudly when Jamal Fogarty, the steam train, just powered his way over, like in such a soft manner. That was... Well, Meany's, Meany's a bit indicative of, of the, mm. the troubles of this Melbourne Storm team. And that's not a mm-hmm. shot at Nick Meany, who I think's had a really, really good year. But, you know, Nick Meany's a fullback. He's, he's, he's not a 5'8". He's not meant to be up defending in the line. And Melbourne have done a really good job of stretching their best players as thinly as they can to try and cover mm-hmm. some of the gaps in their roster. You know what I mean? But there comes a point where if you play good teams in high-stakes games – those fishes, those cracks are going to get pulled apart. And that's what happened. Like Cameron Munster is a fucking unbelievable player, right? And if he was playing fullback every week, he'd probably maybe not be as good as Tedesco, but he'd be extremely close. He'd probably be the second best fullback in the world. But he's not a fullback all the time. And that got exposed a couple of times. It got exposed when Tim Cobb, you know, whooped the shit out of him. It got exposed when uh, Munster buggered up chasing that Jack White and Grubber and Hudson Young scored. You know what I mean? Or similarly, yeah. Nelson Asafa Solomona, is a really good player, right? And he's awesome when he's in the middle of the field. They've been playing him on an edge to try and give him a little bit more strike because apart from Olam, they don't have much in the outside backs and they really don't have much in terms of edges with strike either. Like Kenny Bromwich is a good passer, but time has come for Felice Cafusi. You know what I mean? So Sofa Solomona did all right out there and was attacking well, but he can't play 80 minutes on an edge. He's just too big. So you so you've got to have, hand yeah, you've got to have Chris well. Lewis out there, you know, or Sofa Solomona might overplay his hand, you know, and, I felt like that's what happened with Melbourne. You know, they've 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 sort of done a lot of alchemy to turn a lot of to turn a lot of uh, shit stuff into gold all through the season, and that sort of all caught up with them at the worst possible time, which is what happens in the finals. You know, I'm actually really interested to hear what you boys think Melbourne do from here because they've got I, some big decisions to make, and I think the biggest one is: do they re-sign Munster for a king's ransom, or do they just say, you know what, we're going to back Hughes and Grant and Pappenhausen? And spend the money on some forwards because they don't they don't have any. Like they're going into semifinals with Josh King as their starting lock. I'm sorry, you just can't yeah. do that. You just can't. They're, do they're, they're Brandon as well, obviously. Their depth yeah. in both the backs and the forwards is is concerning, and I guess that's what happens when you have a spine full of world class players. But yeah, it, it, this is the first time in. Well, I, I know they've lost finals games before, but 
this is the first time I can remember since the big three era where I've actually looked at the storm and thought that they're just another team. And next year, again, I mean, they'll be fine. They'll probably make the eight, but I don't look at them as a premiership contender in the, in the immediate future. I think a lot of the, some of their strike forwards are leaving or getting older or both. Uh, the Cam Munster situation continues to hang a cloud over the head. Brandon Smith's gone. Noffa's going back to the Tigers. Who's you know been decent for them. Um, I don't know what to make of them going forward. And I, I think you, the question you just asked there is, I mean, you're, I think they're doomed either way, really. I think that even if Cam Munster leaves and they can use that money elsewhere, they're not probably not going to be able to replicate the production they've got from the Bromiches and Kafusi over the past eight years or however long it's been. And if Munster does leave, yeah, I mean, that's, that's your best player gone and you can't replace that either. And losing him and Brandon Smith in quick succession would be disastrous for them. I know Harry Grant's awesome. My opinion is still a little bit out on Pappenhaus. I don't know if he's as good as other people say that he is. I think he's decent, but um, Scott's down the field. That's the other mm-hmm. thing. And yeah, Hughes is Hughes has been really impressive this year as well. But yeah, I don't know, man. Like I, I think no matter what they do, there there's and I when I say lean years, I mean finishing like sixth. But there's going to be some lean years for Melbourne in the near future. I think. For mine, I will mention in this game what, what Campo said there. Um, I think they played with fire, and they needed they needed fire when they moved months to the fullback. Because at that point, Meany was out. They were playing pretty poorly and they had to get a couple of wins on the board. And they did it, if you remember, they did it against the Titans and they won that game and they beat the Panthers uh, in round 22. They needed those wins bad. Yeah. I think he should have gone back to 5-8 after that. And yeah. I said it on the show a couple of times. I think it was it worked sometimes, but there was moments in all these games that they really just needed to give the ball to Cam Munster and he wasn't where the fuck he should have been. And I, and I think that's got to do more with like Harry Grant would, you know, do what he does, dart left and look left and there'd be nobody next to him. And it's, oh, because Cam Munster, he's actually over on the right waiting for that. We, they were setting a set play up, right? And then Grant saw something and went, but Munster's over there because that's where he is now. You know, and that happened a few times in this game because the, they're at their best and that's Pappenhausen was great with a great support player. But when Harry Grant is spots markers on the ground, it does not matter what the hell they called. Harry Grant's taking the ball and they want him to do that. And he's the best in the league at doing that, but he does it sometimes. And he looks up, he goes and he gets to the line, looks up and there's nobody next to him. It's like, Oh, this is great. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. You know, and in this game, Jerome Hughes, that'd be it brought energy with him, but I think they played with fire and got burnt with that monster fullback thing. Cause he's a casual man. And in this game, he took a risk with Hudson young, but also Nick Meany got abused in the line and it hasn't happened as much in the other games. But it happened in this game. Nick Meany got targeted and abused. He said, by accident or not, it happened. You know, and Jamal Fogarty going through him and Nofaluma, that is terrible. That was like, awful from that was awful from Nofa. I was really I was bad. I was expecting he had his um, around the ball. a bit more a bit more of a wholehearted performance from him, given he, he talked so, so much about finally playing finals. He had his hands around the ball with Fogarty and let go of the ball. Like yeah. I, I couldn't get my head around it. Like, what do you do? But anyway, he let go of the ball, but like I think that that was a pressure point that, that exploded for them and they just couldn't recover from, from that. Like in the, in the attacking 20 grant looked really likely. None of their sweeps looked like scoring anything ever working. None of them. Yeah. I mean, he was a bit of a, like the ball died in his hands a bit often when he was at that five, eight position on that left-hand side. And he's just not equipped to play six at NRL speed on a regular basis. He's not, he's, his brain isn't fast enough. He's fine at the back of shape at fullback. But they got bitten there. And obviously, without Pappenhausen, that stuff's going to happen. Obviously, a backup fullback isn't as good. 
but that that happened in, for them over a number of weeks. And Pappenhausen yeah. is really good at following Harry, Harry Grant. Like we've seen them bomb some tries when Harry Grant's this like amazing kick that sits in the in goal through, and nobody chased it. It's like, mm. like is anyone going to chase those kicks? Apparently not. Um, but yeah, they they had so much ball and couldn't score. But I don't have the same doom and gloom other people have about their future. Like I personally mm. would go as as Campo asked there, I'd pay Cam Munster. I I couldn't stomach letting him go. You can't. Like I agree. I just just with you the, can, the, cape, you can, the caliber of player he is, yeah. I couldn't stomach it. And he's he's still he's 28, 10, 29, but we've seen how his footy players can last. Like he could play the 35 for all we know and be a first grade footballer. You can find more forwards. They might not be as good as the Bromwiches and Kafusi, but you're not finding but they're another not good anymore, anyway, yeah, they haven't been good for some time. Well, no, they're I know like, that, but I mean yeah. like I, I assumed in Nick questions you Nick's question you were looking to replace the caliber of those guys when they were good, well, not I mean, in their present mm-hmm. state. But yeah, Cam Munster, another you're not finding missing. another Cam Munster. There's another player missing who hasn't been there. Christian That's Welch. Christian Welch. Yep. And Asofa Solomona was really good in this run home for them. And in this game, the edge stuff I didn't love so much, but they really relied on him to get them back in the football games, which does show you how poor all the other middles have been because essentially they built their whole rotation about around Asofa Solomona getting rests. But, you know, it's not like Brandon Smith's had a great year. That's true. The Bromwich boys have been terrible. Jesse Bromwich looks like he's one of the guys who should be on a Super League at this point. Like, mm. you look at, like, Takeyaho. I hate that he's gotten old. I lo- I've loved yeah. Jesse Bromwich as a player for a really, really long time. Yeah, like, and they, like, guys like Takeyaho yeah, have, have, have gone to England. Takeyaho like, going there is crazy. He's still good yeah. enough for the NRL. Yeah, so is Paul Vaughan. Even though people don't yeah. like him, he, he had a great um, year. Yeah, so, like, and they'll get... Know, those guys can, can move on. Felice is... He's, you know, he's a shadow of what he was. I mean, the fact he wasn't even starting for them when they needed footy, footy players shows you how, he, how his form's gone. So I don't think they're actually losing that much. As you said, there is concerns about what's yeah. in their squad, but well, you have time. They have time. They've proven they have time. And Cam Munster buys you time. Cam Munster, Pappenhaus, and Harry Grant, Jerome Hughes, buys you a top eight position. Yep. And you and have I, time I, to you know, when, the rest out. When Jack Howarth finally turns 18 in like three years' time, they get him on, him on an edge as well. So that'll be fun. Well, yeah. So he, you know, he's apparently yeah. had a bit of issues with his attitude and similar issues. What I've heard, which is why he hasn't been in there. But you know, they've paid him to be a first grade footballer next year. They've signed Elliot Katoa. There's two edge forwards that, you know, Howarth maybe won't live up to the hype, but we nobody thought anything of Kenny Bromwich or Felice Kafusi before they started at the Storm, mm-hmm. and they didn't get their start to their early mid twenties. Like they're bringing in two guys we've seen potential from. I know he's an edges. older guy, but they're bringing in Tarek Sims as well. That's yeah, they've got Tarek Sims. They have Tui. Kamakamitha still. They have Christian Welch to come back. They've signed Alex Chan's son, which I don't know anything about, but they've given him three years. Joe Chan. Some... Joe Chan, yeah, great Joe name. Chan. They have great, some faith there. Name. And yeah, there definitely is a hole in that middle. Like there's, as you said, Josh King probably shouldn't be a first grade starting footballer. But like, I feel like you sign Cam Munster and then you give you, you buy yourself time to figure the rest out. And mm. um, it looks like it might not, might not be the case, but I couldn't stomach personally signing any of, the, any of them bar Harry Grant before him. And like, this is the fact, even if you think Pappenhausen is the better football than Munster, the fact he's never on the field has to matter. Yeah, I, I wonder I wonder if they have regrets that, they are, that Munster is the, the last guy of that spine that they're trying to lock up now. I wonder they if, if they could them. go back, would they prioritise Munster over Pappenhausen just because Munster's on the field more often? Like, the things that have happened to Pappenhausen have been freak occurrences. Like when he got coat hanged last year and just hmm. reacted badly to the concussion, there's nothing you can do about that. There's nothing you can do about Jack Whiten's knee smashing into his knee and Pappenhausen's knee giving out. Like they're just unfortunate incidents. But if you're ponying up $1.2 million or a million dollars mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. 
sometimes bad sometimes bad luck comes into it you know so yeah i wonder and if those I have things about that and those things stack up like as you said they were freak accidents yeah. accidents but they had right they happened right and now those things are generally something he's carrying from here you know mm. he's managing that knee from here most likely mm. you know unless he's like a billy slater level person who could seem to break 400 bones and then just be good at 35 you know he's carrying them but they also have a halfback down there that you know i've not sold yet but you know jonah Pezzett, people have been loving him and they saw him play for the the blues 20s down there but and I'm not saying that you move Munster on or anything, but the Storm would generally have been pretty good at bringing those guys through. So I wouldn't be surprised if like, he's a 14 next year if they see that in, in him. And that if that's the case, I think he's first grade standard, Munster helps you really cover some of the Pappenhausen issues as well. Yeah. Like if Pappenhausen goes out again, you have someone who can genuinely play fullback and someone who can genuinely play in the halves, not Nick Meany in the halves as a, mm-hmm. as a solution. So I just, I think like the cap's apparently going up 20%. I don't know the real numbers, but up to 12 million or something in a year or two. Is it 20, 2024? I think might be going to 12 million. They've signed the other guys based on what the cap was prior to it. Like, I don't think, like the Redcliffe can afford to pay him 1.4 million, no worries. But, you know, a $1 million player today is a $1.2 million player in two years. You really think they couldn't afford to give Munster one point two, and he'd stay for that over one point four at Redcliffe? I think he probably would. Yeah, and they've like, and I don't believe in that narrative that people always pedal that everyone goes there it gets better or similar, but they believe it themselves, right? And you think they'd believe that they can go and clobber together a couple of forwards like they have almost yeah. every forward they've ever signed. It's, it's definitely easier than finding another else. Cam Munster. Yeah, it is. It is, and. Like, like Brandon Smith is a genuine quality. One, he's one of the few genuine quality players they've lost. Mm. And I can't get my head around how they let two guys like that walk out the door within a year or two. So they yeah. haven't got very long to figure that out. But I think Munster is in that must-keep basket. And I, agree. Um, I'd be sh- I know Storm fans will try and act like they won't be. And they've been they've been through bigger loss than most of us have. They've been through losing, you know, Billy Slater, Ken Smith, Cooper Cronk in the same three or four years. They understand mm. what losing quality players from your team feels like. I would be in pieces if he left my footy club purely for like 200k a year, 300k a year. I'd be yeah, shattered. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, all right, Nick, before we move on, would you like to give your top three most dog in them Canberra players in this game? Oh, I'm just talking about the Raiders still. Let's not move on. Mate, we got... <laughs> well, well, no, there's more things people to say. So, this. Yeah. so the, the player that had the most dog in him has got to be Joe Tarpanay, right? Mm-hmm. Undisputed. Yeah. Led the Raiders. Three dogs, three dogs in him. Three dogs in him. Two dogs in him. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with the Elliot Whitehead throwback. Two dogs in him. Good to see. You gotta love yep. it. Solid. One dog in him. I'm going. It wasn't really a dog in him performance, but I know he's got dog in him. Is Zach Wolford? You know what I yeah. mean? And it's one of those ones. It's not like he had four try assists, and it's not like he ran for a heap of meters. He had one run for four meters, but I thought he had a really, really strong game. His, he was great, his, mate. Yeah, his. His service is, honestly, I reckon it's as good as any hookers in the competition. The way he can whip the long ball straight off the ground, mm-hmm. no time whatsoever, just gets it right out of there. I don't think it's a coincidence that Canberra's attack stopped looking shit the minute that he came into first grade. And I think once he's able to play longer minutes, because he didn't have an NRL preseason this year. I wrote a story about him last week. He was, he was shoveling shit in the stables at Randwick, and he was going to come mm-hmm. off the bench for Newtown in the New South Wales Cup. And then through a series of circumstances, went from that to three weeks later playing in the NRL for, mm. um, in a very improbable build up at Magic Round. 
and he's just kept up with it. And now he's, I think he's Canberra's number one hooker. And I think he will be for the next few years, you know, and the fact that he's just risen to every challenge that he's been presented with this season is just so, so impressive. He got through 50 minutes on the weekend, which is more than he usually does. And I thought he was, I thought he was really strong. I thought he was a real unsung hero for the Raiders. So my one dog in him goes to Zach Wolfe. Um, yeah. We will talk about the Raiders more. Uh, no, we're going to keep talking about the mate. I'm, I'm not done talking about him either. People, <laughs> he's on this. It's finals. We're talking about it more. <laughs> I'm not moving on. Um, I will say, I thought same thing. Zach Wilford was quality in that first half. Like I, I've obviously watched him, and over the years, I've, I've watched him a bit in reserve grade and similar. Just because it's always interested me that how a dude called like Zach Wilford is his name for Christ. Like he's Son Wilford's son. Players who are the sons of of, of of players generally get more opportunity, and he didn't really get it. So I was always fascinated if he was any good or not. And I didn't really think he was that good in reserve grade. You know, I didn't. And he's come in and been really good. But in this in this footy game, mate, he's part of the few of those guys that the moment you got the ball, he flicked the switch. Like the the first try, you know, it's a brilliant try. It's not really his involvement. But the moment you guys crossed halfway, his hands is, is on every single one of the tries you scored, pretty much. Mm. Like he was fantastic. That the 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 play that led to the knockdown led to the scrum right is a nice wide Zach Wolford pass you know right out in front of White and then the spread gets knocked down the back of the scrum is again Wolford not that big of a pass but again right in front of Fogarty he scores and then the the your um your Tarpanay to Elliot Whitehead try is again Wolford's called going that way and it put a good ball in front of Tarpany and gave it to White and you're over. And it's all basic footy, but when you have a shit hooker, anyone who's, who's got a, t- a fan of a team that has a poor hooker, you lose your mind when you see the most basic shape fall apart because your hooker can't put the ball in front of someone. And you Wolford don't understand how that. important it is until you don't have it. Yeah, and he did that again. On the back of all the defensive work they did, I was really impressed with how quickly he took control of that footy game in the middle mm. when they when they got in good ball. And you could see him calling plays and similar. I don't care what he ran once, but he's kind of taken Tom Starling's lunch. Well, he's he's, he's not much of a he's not much of a runner, but he is good at like committing the markers and then putting the forward into the space behind those markers, you know. And um, I think you can really tell that he's been a hooker his entire life. I'm pretty sure Tom Starling was a halfback growing up until he's about 15, yeah. 16. And you can when you see Starling pass off the ground you can kind of tell, you know, but I think Wolford has been a hooker ever since he was five or six years old. I got the impression speaking to him that his old, his old man, Simon, isn't just his old man. Like it's also the guy that he molds his game on. And you can tell because he plays the exact same way. It's ball in two hands all the time, you know, and even if he's not quick, he's good at committing defenders, you know, and I was, I, I was just, I've been really impressed with him all season, but I was especially impressed this time because the stakes were much higher and he's going head to head with Harry Grant and that's not easy. But um, he just played to his strengths, and I thought it was very, very impressive. Yeah, and before we move on, Bungers, the last thing I want to say is that people have seen this anyway, but if you haven't seen Joe Tarp- uh, Tarpani's first-half stats, his end-of-game stats are really good anyway. But in that first half, he played every minute. He had 12 runs for 130 metres, had a try assist, had three line-break assists, had three offloads, and had made 20 tackles with one miss. Like... In a half a footy, there'd be there'd be front rowers be happy with those numbers over three games. <laughs> you know, in a half a footy, just one of the best halves I've seen from a forward, especially the intent they went down there with. And the Storm really tried to clobber together whatever they could and figure a way out how to beat them. And fair credit to Bell- Bellamy, they tried everything they could in this game. Like you know, they they tried offside for Solomon about seven positions. Yeah, know? well, I, I, I thought Munster, 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 like tried everything, everything he yeah. could to sort of get something going. And I thought Grant did too. Hughes, I thought I thought I thought you could tell Hughes was a little bit hampered 
Yeah, but he, wasn't he played fully well fit. at the start of the game. But yeah, yeah he did. But he sort of he went. sort of ran out of juice a little bit. I wonder if that's, that was painkillers wearing off, maybe something like that. But I felt like Melbourne, even though they might not have played their best, they tried their best. You know what I mean? They yeah. did. They tried every fucking trick they knew to try God, and put something out. God, they need a goal Oh God, don't they? What? And I know, I like, I know coming on here and bagging Xavier Coates is pandering at this point. Yes, I just wanted on the record how it. disappointed I am in his season this year because I was one of those people that thought Coates was going to go down there, score 45 tries, but also be a really good winger. Mm. I thought he'd be much better in yardage. I thought he'd get that Melbourne shine, and he just hasn't. He just hasn't. It's like he, it's like he doesn't understand that he's six foot five and fast as lightning. You know what I mean? Like, I just want more from him. Mitch, I couldn't believe that stat that you said where by the time he scored his third try, that was his third run of the game. Yeah, like, no, everyone's in the rapid. We, we need more than that from you, dude. You're too you're too gifted to just come in and 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 catch the ball and put it down. I want more. I want more from you, dog. Yeah. And I know you got it in you. Where is it? Everyone's wrapping him right, and he did finish those three tries well. But that's a, that's the thing, mate. It was 44 minutes of rugby league. He had three runs, and that was all the three tries he'd scored. And you know, halftime he went in with two runs. People praising his effort. It's like, really? Like, are you, like as you said, when they needed something in this game, and. Six runs he finished the game with, so he did do some yardage. But where the hell was he? You know, they need him to stand up, and he did. You know, as you said, like that guy has all the physical gifts, and he stays on his wing. Stays on his wing. Yeah. That's it. No dog in him. Literally None. no dog. Can I go one more thing? One more thing before we move on. I know I've spent ages on this game already. It's fine. I've come on this. How many times have I come on this show and complained about Jack White? Twelve thousands, millions, hundreds of thousands of tens of millions. The game that he played on the weekend is that's the game I want from him. You know what I mean? Just pushing up, pushing up the middle, getting involved all the time. Even if the game doesn't come to him, he sort of goes and gets it. You know what I mean? What he did on that Timoko try, that's all over one from him. Sniffing around the ruck, following up the big fellas, just pushing up and staying involved, staying in the game. Don't drift in and out, you know? So because I've been a, a harsh critic of his at time, but again, only because I think he's so talented, but because I have bagged him in times, you've got to pay it up when he does well. And I thought this was, a really good game from him. It was the sort of game where he didn't dominate, but I never felt like he was out of it. And that's, I think, a, a real big step forward for him. Yeah, he's he was great. And yeah, you're three games away from a premiership. How do you feel? Pretty good. Mm, me too. All right, let's move on. Uh, a incredible game at uh, Shark Park. Uh, somehow topped the madness of the previous game, which you wouldn't have thought possible after watching Canberra v Melbourne. But somehow here we are. Valentine Holmes banging the winning field goal in the third period of extra time after an amazing game that featured plenty of long-range tries, plenty of bottled field goal attempts, and just some absolute madness. Um, I, I suppose we should start at the end. Is there, a, is there a kicker you want more taking a field goal in that position than Val Holmes right now? He's proven time and time again what a clutch kicker he is. Maybe, maybe Cleary, maybe Cleary if it's Penrith, <laughs> not New South Wales. But yeah, man, Val's just, Val's just got it. Eh? And it was funny with that kick. It did, uh, to me, it didn't look like he struck it that clean. Like we know how cleanly he can, he can strike it. And it's like, it's like seeing someone do a great shot in golf or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man, he just found a way to get it over. And I guess that's the mark of a really great clutch kicker. Even if they don't strike it that well, yep. they just find a way to get it over. Like I think Daryl Halligan, Talked about this with Jonathan Thurston. He said it just will, he just wills kicks over. He just forces them over somehow. And that that's what I felt like Val did. Like, I'm interested. I'm like, guys, is this the best semi-final we've had since the Anasta game? 
the Cowboys non grand final. Yeah, the Cowboys Broncos game, the final in 2016. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought as well. Uh, Oregon, Oregon, Oregon those yeah. two are the best since the one. Uh, yeah, you're probably right about that. Um, but yeah, the, an, an unbelievable game. And, um, you know, I bitch about this all the time, but fuck, just give us the camera when it's going in for the field goals, please. Mate, they wouldn't have had a camera set up. Yeah, no way. Like they didn't oh, have that choice. Point. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they wouldn't fucking do it anyway. It could, could be the new Allianz with 7 trillion cameras. It wouldn't matter. But yeah, look. Um, how hard uh, is it to split uh, screen? Even if you put it just the box in the corner, seriously, I don't even just care. Do something. Give us a look. Like, I, I, I want to know without having to look at the players and see if they're celebrating or not. Because even the crowd fuck it up sometimes and start cheering misses or not well, cheering. The, for the fact the crowd was dead quiet in this one, I knew that he kicked it. Well, yeah. And also, because like, Al Holmes, I, also I have literally, I, I can't remember what game it was a couple of weeks ago. Where I saw someone like half the the the. the Fans that were like the wrong side of the post started cheering because they thought it went over. And, it, and, it, and, the, and, the, and the and the refs like, yep, 20. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, not important. What is important is that uh, Jason Tamalolo is incredible. And I know me especially have said that Yo and Murray have sort of gone above him in the sort of middles pecking order this year. Uh, but maybe, maybe we can just enjoy all three of them. Wouldn't that yeah, be maybe nice? you're an idiot? I thought I was just maybe, that's right. not what I said. That's <laughs> I, was, um, I was stoked. I was stoked that people were talking about Tamalolo again because it's been a while. I think with we've gotten mm-hmm. to a point with him. He's a bit he's a bit like Tedesco, where if any other player was playing the way he is, we'd be carving statues for him. We'd be putting him on putting him on Mount Rushmore's, we'd be going crazy. But because we've seen it we've seen Tamalolo do this this way for so long. People take it for granted, you know, and I understand that that can be easy sometimes and I understand it's just how it goes sometimes, but he's someone we should never, ever, ever take for granted. You know, it was, he was the one that scored the try in the 80th minute to level it up and he was the one that took the carry in the 92nd minute to get the ball, to get the quick play the ball for the Holmes field goal. You know what I mean? He's unbelievable and we we can't say it enough. We really can't. Yeah, that um, pass he whipped for Hiku's try. Oh, fucking awesome. Sensational. Like, he's um, obviously the one thing I really respect about Jason is that he, he's always improving, mate. It's, even though he's got his contract, he's been paid, he's really added that passing game this year and really opened it up. But he's probably worked on it for a number of years to get that confidence to do it. But he was awesome. And we got an old school Tamalolo second half in this game. He hasn't needed to carry the, the Cowboys much this year. So we don't see it as much. We don't see the need of like, you know, Jason, take 15 carries in the second half because we need you to do that. But he had, you know, 24 runs to 270 meters in this game. But, of course, before the Val field goal, it is a Tamalolo run who looks fresh as a daisy when the game finished. He was exceptional for all the game. And so was Ruben Cotter, who worked his goddamn oh, ass off. Like, this is a terrier. Yeah, for the size he is, he get he, he, blood, he you know, coached really well in the middle of a footy field considering his size. But it does feel like a game that, you know, if you're a Sharkies fan, you'd feel really aggrieved and really have the shit, honestly, if I was Sharks fan after this game, because like truly the for the first sixty-five minutes, it felt like any time they got in the Cowboys twenty, they scored. Mm. It felt like they had their way with them. And then Will Kennedy scored and all it took was they tried for some reason, it was working with other guys. They, they tried to isolate Dale Fanukan on, on Tamalolo on the goal line. It's like isolate any of the other guys. <laughs> Tamalolo murdered him. You know, then they turn the ball over, and then from that point onwards, the, the Cowboys worked their way back in an eight-point game down. They were down, but from that point onwards, the Cowboys were in control, even though they were chasing. It felt like they were going to win, and I was really impressed as well with the, you know, first they took the two when they were down, which 
in that situation where they were, they had eight minutes left. They didn't panic. I agree. Take the two then. I agree with that. Take the two and then back yourselves to score because you had to score a try either way, but you're not going to get a penalty either way in the future, you know? So take the two. But the way they scored their try off that scrum, like it was obviously they had three plays drawn up. But the first one, like, what the fuck are you doing on the scrum was my thoughts. Like, what are you doing? They didn't put any, all they did was go left and they got tackled there. But they were obviously setting up for a play they've worked on God knows how many times where they had Jason Tamalo run the outline behind Jeremiah Nanai. And Tamalo's never run that in his career and they may never use it again. But they had whatever this was, this two or three tackle set. They had this in their back pocket for when they needed it. They needed it at that moment. And they, they went to it and it worked just as they would have drawn up at training. The other team is watching Nanai, the whole runner. They have they don't give a shit about Tamalo at the back. What's he going to do at the back is what they're thinking. Well, he's going to score. And he scored near the posts. And if they went off the scrum, they would have scored out wide. You know, essentially they had this set that gave themselves that opportunity there. And it's one of the very few glimpses you get sometimes. As a footy fan, you, you know, you know a coach is good, but you're like, when do I see good coaching? How do I know coaching is good? It's like that last 10 minutes is like, oh, this is this team putting into play some things that have been beaten in their head this year. You know, they've had some strategies put in their back pocket that they can lean onto and the whole team can default to when they need to do it. And there it was. And it was yeah, fantastic way to get back in for them. And then at the start of this extra time, I thought they were terrible. The Cowboys, how they didn't set for a field Why goal. Why were they, they kicking field goals? Field goals? I, look, I, think, so I, th- I think everyone just psyched themselves out because nobody, like, not, not one of those guys, apart from the few players that were there in 17 when these two teams had another extra time semi final, that's the last extra time game. None of them have played extra time. They've all just played golden point. So I think they go into it thinking, all right, well, we've got plenty of time. Let's not be frantic. And then in the end, they went too far the other way. They got a bit too cautious. Mitch, that's. That's really well observed what you said about North Queensland busting that out when they really needed it. Because I think that summed up the difference between the two teams. Like those last 10 minutes, I thought the Cowboys stayed on the job and they stuck they stuck to sort of their systems and their processes and all that boring bullshit we hear players and coaches talk about. They did all that. And the Sharks, as well as they played and as good as their attack was, they just went away from what was working for them just that little bit. And in a game like this where the margins are so close, that makes all the difference, you know? Yeah. That's it. And the, and the Sharks seemed to play panic footy for the, like, they couldn't hold on to the ball for the last, like, 15 minutes of this game. Mm. And the Cowboys not taking, I understood why they didn't take a shot at goal when they kicked the crossfield to felt, you know, that was the start of extra time. They yeah. get the ball back and there was, like, two minutes left in the first period of extra time and they just ran it left. And Val wasn't even in, a, in the pocket. And it's like, why? Why are you not kicking it? Like by the time they kicked it, it would have been like a minute or less, just over I, a minute left on the clock. It's like if you kick it, it's a kickoff. You get the ball back. It's half time. If you miss I it, couldn't, they have to get up the field in fifty odd seconds. I couldn't ask anyone because I was obviously watching this game on delay with my internet off and no sound because mm. we were driving back from a wedding. Um, it's both. They play both halves, right? You're not winning. You not you don't win if you're in the first period of extra time. If no, you're they winning, play. Right? They, they play five minutes each way. Regardless they play both regardless, yeah. right? Okay, well, I guess it makes a little bit more sense then. But still, you'd you'd love to see, especially Chad, when that when he was you know, had the ball ten meters out, just have a shot, mate, get the lead. But anyway, it worked out for them, I guess. But yeah, it, it's a super frustrating way to lose for Cronulla. Um, they should have won this game. I thought they were the better team for most of it until the end when I guess Tamalola's class really shone through, especially. But I mean, it's it's such a big result for the Cowboys now because they're going to get 
to play. I know these were both earlier in the season, but they're either going to get to play a team they beat by 30 in Darwin or a team they beat by 20 in Townsville for a spot in the grand final. Well, I, I had a story that I'd written that was ready to go Friday morning that ended up um, getting torpedoed because of all the stuff that happened with the Queen. And Too many hot takes. Too but many. in that, I, I, I wrote um, that I thought the winner of this was going to make the grand final, you know, because you guys mentioned on the mm. show last week the great record the Cowboys have that the Cowboys have up at home. And I think the Sharks as well, if, they, if they'd gone through and they were playing the winner of Parramatta Canberra, I think the Sharks would fancy their chances in that one as well, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready to say it. I'm signed still delivered. I think the cows are in. I think it's cows, cows, panthers in the big one, you know, because I agree. going I up think... there, going up there, playing those, playing those fucking cowboys psychopaths up in the heat. No shot. Man, yeah. Better team, better teams than mine have melted. You know what I mean? I think um, I agree with the cowboys one, but uh, I think they'll be facing <laughs> off against the grand old club in a few weeks time. But yeah, um, that's obviously people don't remember those numbers. And I did, I did get one of them wrong on the podcast. The Cowboys are seven and seven in finals up there. Obviously it's their first prelim they've hosted up there, but on the back of being seven and seven in finals up there, they're also 18 and 21 in any game played in North Queensland since their reception in September. And yeah. that's like, again, they've been shit a lot. That's a lot of wins when they've not been great. And the, some of the losses, by the way, like, the last two years they lost two of those eight of those losses in the of lando ball against the uh sea eagles and the panthers so before that they were essentially 18 from 19 in september up there and the reason it matters because most of us live much further south but on the day their prelim is last year it was 28 degrees at night in north queensland the day their prelim is uh that's that's a big difference If you're a team from Canberra that trains at 13 degrees, <laughs> you know, and then you have to go up there and play at 28. And I've already already said that like the ideal situation, if you were South, we we're talking about last week, was ideally for a South or Roosters fan, you want the Sharks to, to lose. Yeah, so of course. Yeah. You don't have to go up there. You have to go through that way. But yeah, the Cowboys hosting a team up there. Yeah. Like said, I'll give them like a dollar thirty to be in the grand final if it was in my, my bookie now. And either if not, there's a team going up there that's going to get baked that has to come back to the grand final. That's good luck to them. Whoever goes up there, uh, first mm-hmm. prelim up there. We haven't seen the, the knock-on effects of it anyway, but it does feel like it's you know most likely Penrith versus the Cows. And obviously he thinks South Vanga does, but yeah, I feel like yeah probably Penrith or that other side might be the the favourites after the the game in Townsville anyway. Yeah. Um, hot time to play up there, real. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but the Sharkies, like you know, people get calling this a fraud bowl, and I don't want to call that stuff because you know both those teams earned their right and earned their second chance. Um, the the Sharkies are losing a game at home like that, just devastating. Oh, it's a tough one. I, I, I was shocked there was more than zero Cowboys fans there. By the way, it's like how the fuck did you get tickets? Yeah. Like, they travel, <laughs> man. They travel. No, but I mean, those, like, how did they Cowboys logistically fans. get the tickets? Because like, even all the Sharks members didn't get them. Somebody's like living in the Shire, or deep behind <laughs> enemy lines, like deep cover. You know what I mean? Like Donnie okay. Basco. They don't know where. The, yes, my name's John fight. Eddinghausen. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think you were mentioning him a little bit on the on the Twitter machine, Mitch. But Peter Hicku, like oh, wow. he didn't get a lot of raps when he signed with the Cowboys, and he's low key had a really good year. And then out of nowhere, he's he's just pulled one of the great finals games right out of his anus. Like he was fantastic. I thought just getting it done, work like work rate was unbelievable, making runs, flicking passes. That try he scored where he put mm. Talakai on toast. That was fucking hectic, man. There's no other word yeah. for it. Good it was. 
it was um so if people don't know, look again, you can all look at his stat sheet, but he had for a center and of a guy of you know, Hiku's age and what people think of him, he had 28 runs, 314 meters, and we all know the light break and the try and eight tackle breaks. But yeah, we talk about earlier, you know, stepping up when your team needs you as an outside back. Peter Hiku found a way to give his forwards a rest, get involved in that game, and also do some of the yardage work for guys like Felt and 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 Tao Lange and someone to give those guys energy when they need it. Like, you know. You come in, every carry Hiku takes, it's giving someone else a break because centers don't re- really usually do yardage. They do about 10 carries a game, maybe. We should have taking... known this was coming. Because remember that hectic 4 0 game with the Roosters and, and Manly years ago in 2013? Best on Hiku ground. played fullback for Manly and got man of the match. So we knew he had that dog in him. But yep. part of having that dog in you is bringing the dog out when it really, really matters. You can't bring the dog out every week. Bring the yeah. dog out when it matters. And it mattered. And Peter Hickey brought the dog out. Yeah. And uh, I will say, but I also thought Sharks, I thought like Nico Hines had a pretty good game. I think he needs yeah, to he really sharp. work a little less in defense. You know, save your gas, mate, for when your team needs the other side of the ball. But I thought, yeah, he was, he was real good. Um, Finucane, again, like they got what they paid for there. Uh, I do still think, I think Shark fans hit the same thing too. That they're definitely missing one of those top line props. So, yeah, they're just a little bit skinny in there. You know what I mean? Like, I, I really like. Royce Hunt and Hamlin Ueli as like yeah. complimentary guys. But you're right. I don't think they, I think the Cowboys could just shade them a little bit in the yardage game, you know, not just because of Tamalolo, but they're just yeah. a little bit deeper, you know, like they got Cotter, they got Hess, who's turned into a very serviceable prop. They got McLean, who's still extremely solid. And I think there's got a little bit more forward depth there. Uh, the Sorry, the Cowboys have a little bit more forward depth there than the Sharks too. Like, and that, that's the thing. we got to, like, Cronulla are sort of at that point where we're really splitting hairs. We're really picking apart their roster in a really minute way because nearly every other week of the year, those guys are going to be good enough to get it, get it done. But in a knockout final or a big semi-final, that's what it really comes down to. You know, I don't know how they fix that, like, because I don't feel like they have to go out and get somebody awesome. It's more just like yeah. they just need maybe one or two hmm. Higher quality guys, you know. I know, I know. Andrew Fafita is really important for them from like an off-field standpoint and like a vibe standpoint. But if they could get someone yeah. that could just be a little bit more of a regular on-field contributor, like maybe that's the thing that pushes them right over the top. Yeah, we're not talking about going to get like a Payne Haas or something, like it's a tall ginger taller level forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah like to- get- Tom Gilbert, who the t- Dolphins snapped up off contract, for example, would have been yeah. a, a great like, like a, a Ryan Sutton, maybe like yeah, somebody yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Let's just um, name dudes for the next 10 minutes. Well, That's Nathan it. Brown. Nathan, we mentioned him earlier. Nathan Brown would be a perfect cheap. one for him. Yeah, it's true. I will want to say baby. one thing I want to say before we move on on this as well is that I know mm. I like the two-point field goal. Surprisingly, I do. But I do wish they just gave one point for the Val one. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Yes, yeah, so do I. <laughs> it, should, it should have been uh, like he kicked it and I thought, oh, they've won 31 30. And like half an hour later, I saw the score and I'm like, Hang on, what happened? I know it was a 40 meter field goal, but just give it one. It's, yeah, it's not aesthetically one. pleasing to see. It, is, it to. very much is. Yeah. Seems greedy. It's like hitting a six to win when you only need a run. Yeah. How, how, how will Mitch Doyle Jr. in 2044 find out on Rugby League Project when he's looking this yeah. game up in 20 years? How will he know it was a mm. one point well, in the finals? Hopefully, his older brother, Digby Doyle, will uh, take him <laughs> by the hand and teach him <laughs> what brothers do. Yeah. That's true. Hopefully. Yeah. All right. And the last game of the round, <laughs> um, South Sydney told you, I told you 26. It was only 16 in the end. Don't I look foolish, but man, um, what a performance from the grand old club. They march on to, I guess, probably their, uh, you know, hopefully a rematch with Penrith in a week's time, but they've got to get through Canola first. But uh, yeah, 
you know, I, I was pretty confident all week that they would win this game. Uh, I was especially confident when we scored with 11 players against 13. And then I was saying, yes, we've won when James Sadesco was taken off the field for a HI. And I know obviously the last one is not something to celebrate. It's just an unfortunate thing that happened. But um, yeah, I think from that point, Southborough is going to win. But I think that might be the best Cody Walker's ever played in a big game for South. And that's a guy that's been called a big game bottler in the past a lot of the time. And I know he was good in the grand final, but he, of course, threw the game losing intercept. So you can't really say that he was perfect in that game. He was close to perfect in this one. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Latrell will rightfully get a lot of the plaudits because he's Latrell Mitchell and that's how it goes. And he also did some really important things. But watching it back again, as I have since we did the bonus pod the other night, Mitch, I think Cody Walker was absolutely incredible in this one. Yeah, I think he was you know, probably the best on ground for the game. I, this is a really hard game to analyze. This is not a regular game of rugby league. Chaos. <laughs> like it's not rugby league. Uh, there were seven sin bins. Everybody knows there was injuries and, and concussions on both sides of the field. The Roosters ended the game with a back line of, you know, their third choice fullback at fullback, probably the like 12th choice center at center, you know, with Connor Watson at center on one side, Hutch over the other side and Momorowski on the wing. Like it, it's hard to really, get yeah. into nitty gritty of analyzing this one, you know, it's like, but I will say like Cody Walker was exceptional when he, when his team needed him. I thought the Roosters pack really stood up, you know, throughout the fixture, but they, they made some crucial mistakes, you know, mm-hmm. when they, when they got in the good ball, they made some mistakes, especially when they had 13 and 11 and gave, you know, the, the Rabbitohs an out and the Rabbitohs to their credit took advantage of those opportunities very often. They didn't really make many mistakes you know, no. for some reason, the troll kicked the ball on zero tackle. Yeah, we, oh, I got I got a message I, after the bonus pod. I got a message from one Pup Campton saying, you didn't even mention Latrell Mitchell kicking the ball in the I was first watching, minute. I was watching this with Pup. He fucking flipped his lid when that happened. Like, he doesn't go for South. He doesn't go for the Roosters. He nearly punched yeah. the television just out of sheer confusion. <laughs> but it, it's like, there's no explaining it. There just isn't. Like, it was bizarre. It wasn't like it was going for a 20-40 or anything. He just booted up the guts. And it wasn't even a good kick. I'd I, I think Sam Walker's a coward for not kicking it back. That happened until you just mentioned it now. Yeah, because of all the other crazy. Uh, shit he should he should have kicked it back. I was going to say that was like the only mistake with the ball South made for the first like thirty odd minutes, and that made a yeah. big difference. Like, you know, people are like almost overrating scoring with less men because it happens all the time. It's again, it, it's easy to create numbers with less men, right? You just leave less numbers on the other side of the play the ball. You know, it's it's easy. It's defending where you can't just create numbers. That's what it's hard to do. So. People have overrated that a little bit. That's why, you know, it happens all year. People, teams score with men down. Yeah. The reason why teams with men down don't usually score is they generally don't get the ball. But the Roosters fucked up. Well, uh, I think. They gave you guys the ball and then gave away a penalty and you, then you scored. And it was like, well, there goes four minutes. Yeah. You know? And I think the only, the only you mentioned that the first half, oh, I think the only set that I didn't, apart from that kick, I think the only set that set. didn't end well was when we nearly scored a try, when Keon dropped the ball out the back and then they ruled a knock on when Campbell Graham dived in the court. So if you're going to turn the ball over, last tackle 10 metres out from the opposition line is not a bad place to do it either. So I thought, yeah. I thought well, something... A complete set anyway then. Something that came together really well for Souths is because this game was so stop-start and it didn't get into sort of that set-for-set set battle that we see mm-hmm. sometimes, I felt like that really played into South Sydney's hands. They're yeah. really good offset starts. And if they do have a weakness, it's the yardage of their back five. Like they don't have yeah. a single... Like, Tane Milne is okay at it, and the rest of the back five. And Gamble Graham's okay at it too. Both mm. their wingers are pretty bad at it. Trell hates doing it. If there's a way, if the way to beat Souths is to make their back five keep working it out of their own end again and again and again, because you can eventually win that yardage battle. But because this game was so stop start with so many 
HIAs and sin bins and all that sort of thing, that sort of yeah. never eventuated, you know what I mean? And then even if it did, the Roosters lost their main yardage guys in Tupo and, and Suali'i as well, and Tedesco. So, I think, um, what? Yeah, I think you've nailed that. And it's 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 been a problem with Souths for God knows how long, and it will probably end up affecting them in a big game again, as it has done in the past. Um, but, like, what, what I mean, what can they do to fix it short of, you know, signing someone like, Brian Toto. Get, bigger, like, get, get better wings. Yeah. That's what they hey, can do. Hey, hey, hey. Alex Johnson's good at everything else. He can't do everything. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, I do think this game, though, it was really like all the chaos sort of it. It was over when Tedesco went off. I yeah. agree. Like, it just, they didn't have that skill. And I know, like, people always try to anoint young fellas well before they're ready to move. But there's been weird chat of, like, you know, Tedesco needs to go so Swale can play fullback. Yeah. Those <laughs> people got a quick lesson. Like, you know, that, he's that guy won come. rookie takes last week, by the way. Yeah, if if Suwali's going to become a great fullback, his time will come. There's no rush, you know. But we saw in this game that he's obviously still not ready to play first grade fullback, which is fine. He has time, but obviously they lost Tedesco, and then without Tedesco, usually Joey Manu would be back there, and he's obviously wasn't playing it. Suwali goes back there, and a couple of times without opportunities, him back there, the ball died in his hand. I, I did enjoy layering it up every time their movements didn't end as smoothly as they would have with Tedesco. This kid wants five million dollars to play fullback. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. kidding yourself. It was great. Um, yeah, and then we I, find out after the game that both Hargreaves and Sam Walker Sam have Walker, fractured wrists. Yeah. Crazy. Like, ridiculous. Sam Walker threw thought... a 40,000-yard cutout ball from dummy half to Daniel Tupo yeah. with a broken arm. Yeah, I thought he had a Barney, by the way, Sam Walker. Like, True, he learned but a lot that one pass game, was great. But, um, I thought the one thing him and Kiri got wrong when there was those periods of a man advantage for the Roosters is that they tried to go to the edges like that every time, whereas... They should have, again, you beat, beat you guys down the middle, suck some men in, and then you can spread it if you have to. But honestly, half the time teams, you had 11 men. You would have caved up the guts. They didn't Probably. even need to spread it. But they made mistakes spreading it and whatever. Same thing as like with 11, like Drew Hutchinson thought he was the guy. That's what happens when you spread it with 11 men and Hutchinson's on the edge. He tried to take him on with speed. It didn't well, work. Latrell Mitchell has the girth of three men. So yeah, I guess it was 13 on 13 all along. But what, um, what I, I would by the way, him and Walker not getting binned. Seven binnings and I was not one say, of them being one of them. Crazy. But oh, I want to ask you something about this, one. right? Because this has been like the buzz, the buzzwords catchphrase since this game. And maybe I'm a little bit too close to it. But like people going, oh, Ashley Klein lost control. The game lost <laughs> control, all this stuff. It's like he sent them all to the Sinbin. Like, I'm just curious, like, what, what do you want him to do in that scenario? Like, apart from maybe the Totola one, they're all, in my opinion, very clear-cut Sinbins. So I'm just wondering what he was supposed to do like i mean he showed more leniency than he needed to like he he could have probably been tom burgess for that first one on tedesco before he binned him for hitting a second player in the face like 45 seconds later so i'm just wondering like and i know we've all ashley Klein's had his criticisms in the past and rightfully so but i'm just wondering what he could have done other than what he did because at the end of the day he's not the one he's not the one throwing punches in the rock like victor radley or head slamming people like jared Rio hargraves or hitting people high like tom burgess and tane milne were so I don't know sure if he lost control rather than the game lost control of itself. What does a referee taking yeah. control look like if not saying to the players, if you guys keep this up, I'm going to bin you. I don't care how many people it takes. And then following up on that threat. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I don't know what else a referee can do to, to take control of the match. I think people saying that he lost control is just people thinking what they were seeing was wild and thinking somebody has mm-hmm. to be to blame. And so they say he lost control of the game without even really thinking about what that means, you know? And I know that this was a crazy controversial game and people are always going to lose their heads about this, but some of the, some of the takes and some of the discourse that we saw in the days after was absolutely ridiculous. I tried to like avoid people saying, 
oh, this this game proves why there's a time limit on contact sport. Like, get the fuck that, out of there. That is nom- that is Come that is in the rookie takes nominations for tomorrow. <laughs> That's um, kind of like though. That was a guy, a fan of a team that lost the game. It's kind of like when you saw the NFL player, I think his name lost the Super Bowl, and he's like, "Well, at least you know we didn't." Everyone, so what do you say? Everyone dies in it anyway, or something. It's like, true. well, we may have lost, but who gives a fuck? The sport's dead. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, not how it works. About? And no, it's, no. it's it's unfortunate, right, that all these things happen. But at the same time, like if anything, he could have seen been more guys. So yeah. I don't think he yeah. did anything particularly well, wrong. As you said, and it's yelling, yelling control from the refs. Sorry, mate. It's unfortunate that guys got hurt, right? And guys banged their heads and all that sort of thing. But I thought the first half particularly had that real that real edge that where you're like, wow, anything could happen out here. These guys are really going hard. And that is one of the things that people like about rugby league. It was the same in Origin 3 and people fucking loved it. You know what I mean? I, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that like violence is part of what we like about this sport. You know, yeah. we like seeing guys hit each other. We like seeing guys trying to hurt each other. You know, that's part, part of the of attra- that's part of the attraction. We like, we like we like dinosaurs, aliens, and the violence of the of the Yeah, of the, yeah. Of the and field. like of course you've got to make the game as safe as you can. And of course, seeing guys get get knocked get knocked out and all of that is horrible, and we should do everything we can to prevent it and everything we can to manage those situations. But watching got two watching two packs, two teams charge into each other at full speed and seeing who comes out better, that's what that's part of what this sport's about, you know? Yeah. We shouldn't and, I don't think we should have to shy away from that. No either. And yelling the referee's loss control is kind of like yelling grassroots. No one really knows what it means, but we're all <laughs> yeah. certain of it. But it's mm. like the, the thing with Klein in this game, like I reckon all these incidents are not incidents in isolation. You can find an example this year of each one of them wasn't Simbin. You know, you can probably find all of them that none of them were Simbin yeah. this year. But but Klein, as you said, tried to take control of the game. You know, Radley threw that little sneaky punch, which many times they just don't bin them. He got binned. He warned Tom Burgess. And how many times as fans we get this shoots when you see someone get warned? Then they follow it up and they don't do anything. He yep. did that. Mm. He binned Tom Burgess. He binned everybody. And even, you know, maybe he overbinned one incident, the Totola and Radley incident, but that was him trying to take control of the game. Yeah. The game was out of control. And yeah, he didn't lose control of it. If it they, they, no one had control of that game. Emotions were running high. They were. Um, like, and, you know, rivalry games are always big, right? But this went into with the extra of like they were angry at each other from last week already. The yeah. teams had the shits with each other already. They went into it, and there you go. And South won and that weird thing of like the team losing in the last round, winning in the first round of the finals because keeps happening. I, d- look, I don't know I, how to explain it. But I, it I know there was a lot of crazy shit that happened, but I was pretty adamant that we had really not tried that hard last week, and neither had the Roosters. And I think the effort levels and the intensity of last Friday's game and this game were completely night and day. Yeah. Like I said, so, but I still can't. Like, it's really hard for me to know honestly watching this game. Though, do I think South played well? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I um, I don't know. Like, I I didn't think the Roosters played well, but it's like they also had like no players, and you know, it's, it's just the other funny part of this game was the fact that South got to use the 18th man and the Roosters didn't. That was very <laughs> funny. Like, how does that work? Like, uh, like the, the, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, but it's interesting as well. Like, I saw um. Uh, one of our listeners tweeted that uh, since they got rid of Latrell, the Roosters have not gone further than Souths in a season, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And also, Latrell Mitchell has like a really good finals record, by the way. He's like seven and one or eight and one in finals games. He hasn't played so, in the last two years. So yeah, no, doesn't, doesn't matter. We need to spend it for the losses. Was this, was this his first? <laughs> was this his first final for Souths? Yep. Am I remembering yeah. that right? Yeah, it was. Yes, it was. Crazy. Yeah. 
So you're telling me a guy who played in the two back-to-back years or so, yeah. and then <laughs> isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? That's a good record. Yeah. I swear, wouldn't Paul Momorowski be like undefeated in the finals until this year as well? Maybe, but he's not anymore because like, because he went from. Roosters. Oh, no, he would have played for Penrith week one. Oh, he played in week one when we beat. I oh, did. I would say because he played um, Roosters and Storm, but didn't. It wasn't in the team every week, but he did play. He didn't play Storm final actually. Yeah. So yeah, it doesn't. Well, no matter. We won. I knew we would play the Sharks next week. Uh, we should uh, talk about those two games. Um, we should. No, we should, should we jump back to the other game first? We just, we're no, 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 no. Let's let's segue. Let's, let's just do this because we're already rolling. We're already into rolling. Into, into, we've bunk, already into the bunker about, ball. Yeah, we've, we've we've rolled into the South Sharks preview easily. I think. Um, yeah. Look, Cronulla, they've served their purpose for me this year. That was winning me a beer bet against Nick Campton. Um, I've enjoyed supporting them this year, but uh, this is the end. This is the end of the uh, the team of the pod ship. Thank you for your service. I'm going to enjoy those beverages in the off-season bought by our guest host for the day, but uh, the relationship is no more. Uh, this is like Shawn Michaels kicking Ric Flair in the head and saying, I'm sorry, I love you. No, but, but you don't love them because if you did, you wouldn't cast them aside so callously. Mm, and yet here we are. Casting and yet here them aside we are. With extreme callousness. <laughs> um, I think we'll win this pretty easily. I don't know. Like I, I, I just think... Uh, I don't know, dog. Don't... Go ahead. Yeah, look, I just, look, I know they won that game at Shark Park. Um, and I know we don't have Tom Burgess, which is a big out for the middle. But I think just in general, our forwards are just a little bit better than theirs. Um, the backline seems to have figured itself out. Um, there's like, I think that among all players, I think Cody and Trell are up there with the biggest confidence players in the league. And they've both got very much a confidence booster from that win last weekend. Their tails will be up. Canaral have a lot of good players. I think not having the friendly confines of Shark Park will affect them. There'll still be a lot of Sharks fans there, but it is for all intents and purposes an away game for them at Allianz. So there will be more Souths fans there than Sharks fans. That's just a fact. I think when you roll all those factors into each other, and I know they get an extra day's rest, but they've both gone through absolutely brutal finals games this weekend. So I don't know if you can really give them the advantage of extra rest as well. They did play an extra 15 minutes of footy than Souths did. And Souths, I think, put the queue in the rack in the last 20 of this one anyway. So... There's a lot of factors to like there. I think Cronulla are still a class team. I think Nico Hines on his day is up there with anyone that's playing in this game in terms of talent, in terms of the way he can impact a result. But yeah, I just think Souths have more difference makers across the field. And I think that it, I think they're going to win that forward battle. And off the back of that, Trell and Cody are going to take over. I think Souths should win by 10 to 12 points. I would have agreed with you on the forward battle until Tom Burgess it's a got big suspended. Out. That's a it's huge out. Because like he's... He, he's had two really, really good seasons now. It's funny that no one really talks about him anymore because it True. felt like for a few years no one could shut the fuck up about the Burgess brothers. And now we've only got one left and he's playing great, but no one seems to no one seems to care, you know. And South's forwards, I thought, have been have been really they've been really good for probably the back half of the year. But mm. I was really impressed with them against the Roosters because Lodge and Maria Hargraves were out for blood and the South's boys managed to stand up and really respond to them and really take it to them. Even guys like Jai Arrow, who I think's had a really poor year considering how talented he is. I don't think second raise his position anyway. So Fires up in big games, though. He can do. But he played, he, played, he played huge on the weekend. So, mm. But I just, I don't know, without Burgess, I don't think they'll be able to rely on a dominance in the middle of the field. And while Souths are so good in attack, I think the Sharks really are as well. It wouldn't surprise me if we got a real shootout in this one. You know, if the, mm. if the Sharks had another really high scoring close game, you know, and if it, if, it, if it turns into like shot for shot footy, like, you know, pistols at dawn in the center of town, 
Mm. I, I'm not, I'm not sure who I favor, you know, yeah. like Trell and Walker are both fantastic, but that's kind of the only weapon in the back line Souths have got, you know, it's, it's those two in their combination. And maybe that'll be enough to overcome the, the, I think the more, the more, the or a combination that's as maybe not as dangerous singularly, but probably mm. offers a few more options in Moylan, Hines and Kennedy. And yeah. I think from two to five, the Sharks have a pretty clear advantage. You know, I think they've got a real advantage in both centers as well. I think those are two matchups they can feel really good about. So I don't know. I'm I'm struggling with this one. I probably yeah. would have gone south until the Tom Burgess news you, came out. You you mentioned one big out there with Tom Burgess, but I will say there's one big in in the back line that wasn't there the last two time these two teams played, and that's Campbell Graham, who I think makes a gigantic difference in terms of the quality disparity between the two. Um, I, I probably agree with you. I think two to five, uh, Cronulla would have four of the six best players there with AJ and Campbell being the other two. But I think Graham coming back makes a gigantic difference. Um, and, and it's, pro- it's just, it's just, I just feel safer when he's in the team. That right edge was absolute Swiss cheese when he was out of the side uh, in every single game, really. Um, and they just need start, they just need a calm controlling head there to harness the lunacy of Tane Milne outside him. And Graham, I think is that guy. Um, he's super, super important to how they, not only how they defend, but how they start sets well. You mentioned the yardage thing. That is a problem, and he is decent at that when he gets involved. Um, there's lots to like about both teams. I think this will be really – I think you're right, right. I think it'll be a high-scoring game. Uh, Mitch, your thoughts? I um, I think the the difference between the sides is I think there's more places that the Rabbitohs crack at than there is in the Sharks. I think, as you said, there's a lot of strengths, and I'm not going to argue the strengths or weaknesses of all the individual players or similar. But I think if you're a, a – if I'm an opposition coach, I can draw up more things to take advantage of against South than I can of the Sharks. The Sharks are really solid across the park, but I look at the that the but Barney's team and I think, okay, I'm kicking at Tane Milne all night. Like, deal with yeah. Mulatalo. Deal with it. Go ahead. And also, you know what? I'm kicking at Tane Milne, but also I'm kicking behind the troll. We've seen when the troll gets the shit and has to run and chase kicks, he his, disappears sometimes. His, poor, his like, worst game since he came back was against the Sharks. You're right. Yeah, and he had a pretty poor game last week against the Roosters with the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd be kicking to him and chasing like wild dogs and trying to pin the troll in the corner and piss him off. I'd be doing that. And then you'd be pretty confident if you're then thinking on the, with their right edge's defense this year, you know, it's not perfect, but they'll probably think they can try and hand, not going to like, we all know South Leafs are going to score points, but they'll probably hope they don't get, get cracked through a hundred times in that side. But I yeah. think they'd be trying to t- pin you guys down, target those sides. And no Tom Burgess, I think is a, is a huge difference because, you know, coming off the bench, it was, it was massive having him come on, Havili on the back of that and a bit of Harme Sele, who was becoming a little bit of a hitman to now the bench has Michael Cheekham on it. Well, that's that was like, going to be my huge. other question. Like, I would, well, not question really, but I wouldn't be surprised if by game day, David Wiley's taking that spot instead of Cheekham. And yeah, that's what I, I would so prefer too. as well. I, so, I, I, uh, I agree, but I wonder if they won't do that because they'll want someone on there that can cover an edge. It's true. Good point. You know, I, I, yeah, I actually, this is absolutely fucking out there, but I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind it if they moved Arrow back into the middle rotation, even if it was just after 20 minutes, bring on Cheekham, chuck him on the edge, because right. I think they need I, they need the hell for leather in there, you know? They're going to do yeah. something zany at some point in this final series, but they can only do it once, and that's the thing. <laughs> so I don't know whether they're going to pull out. I, I think that's a really good idea by, by you, but I just wonder if they're thinking maybe we need to get through this game and then we can pull out all the stops against Penrith the following week, because I'd love to see that. And I'd also even potentially love to see Graham and Milne switch in defensive sets when the ball is coming. Uh, so when they're expecting kicks, when they're expecting high kicks, 
But yeah, I, again, and, I, I don't think you can do that in back-to-back weeks either. You've either. So we'll see what happens. And the other real weakness of South is when they stay in the to and fro for a long time and in the grind, they lose a field position battle. And the Sharks don't that often. They really they got back. It's not even just about the meetage game. It's about Lockley Lillie's kicking game isn't good enough. Like mm. it's not as good as it should be. And Hines and Moreland has improved a lot this year, whereas Ilias hasn't really got much better. And that's if I'm a Sharks fan, I'm going in confident thinking if we don't make a lot of mistakes, we can beat this team in the yardage battle and then exploit guys like Tane Milne. And, you know, obviously if there's any team that I think can turn up and just blow someone away, South is that team, you know, on the back of Latrell, Cody Cook, they're able, capable of doing that. But I do think this Sharks team are really good at hanging in there. Like, yeah. I know they just got chased down and lost to uh, to the Cowboys, but there's so many times this year I thought that team was terrible. The, like they were worse than the other team on the field. You think that, but they hang on in these periods. I have these periods of ten minutes where you're like, mm. "How the fuck have they not conceded?" They keep dropping the ball. They keep giving away penalties. They're on the goal and they don't concede, and then they score and they win a game. They play better for 15 minutes in, you know. And I just think they'll turn up for a finals game and. I reckon they'll edge you, and I reckon they'll edge you by like four points. And I think mm-hmm. it'll come down to those things when you rely on guys like Ilias and similar where the cracks show. There'll be a Tane Milne drop bomb with eight minutes to go. That, and that will be, happen. That <laughs> that'll true. be it. Again, like, be, honestly, like, he'll drop a bomb, you know? I'm not, I won't be shocked if they move Campbell Graham to the wing for some of these defensive kick situations. I really won't be. And I like we hope yeah. to see it. But uh, Nick, who do you think is going to win? I'll probably go the Sharks as well. I was going to say by four, but I don't want to follow up to Mitch. So I'll say by... I'll say they win three, 26, three. 24. I legit okay. would have picked you if Tom Burgess was playing. Yeah, yeah no, so I, it's I, a I huge out. I'm not, and look, and, and I do feel a lot worse about the if we win the Penrith game without him, like as well. Like I'm we got a, bullied. I'm stunned that he didn't try and fight it. Nah, because if, if, if you if you him pl- not playing in the grand final, miss the grand final. Oh yeah, but they're, they're not going to they're not going <laughs> to knock over Sharks and Panthers without him. Like play the percentages, mm, yeah. son. No, I th- well I think they also probably knew they weren't going to get away with it, given he did it fucking twice in the space of thirty seconds. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Uh, Raiders Eels. Um. Yeah. Look, this I don't know what to make of this game because these two teams, like nothing really surprises me anymore. Like, no, that makes Paramax, sense. Nothing they do makes sense. Both of these teams have smashed good teams, lost to shit teams. Um, they've both got players that are wildly inconsistent. It would not shock me at all if Parramatta won this game by 40, nor would it shock me if Canberra eked out a golden point win or anything in between. Um, I just don't know if, like, because Canberra have basically been playing basically without any wiggle room. for the. I know they kind of had a little bit in that Tigers sort of celebration round, but they've more or less been playing without wiggle room since that loss to the Panthers and you just wonder if that pressure compounds every single week. But at the same time, they don't seem to feel pressure like other teams do because they're just crazy men who mm-hmm. just go into every game with no concerns. Nothing. Exactly. And that is the most dangerous man of all, one who has nothing to lose. Well, there you go, Bungard. You've talked You've talked yourself to it there. You're saying the pressure's gone up on Canberra every week. I actually think there's no pressure on them this week. Mm-hmm. It's like making the finals was the big accomplishment. Everything after that. Is is everything after that's gravy, man? We're playing with house money at this point. Like the pressure's on Parramatta, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Raiders person. I'm saying that because it's true. This is the fourth year in a row that Parramatta's in the second week of the finals. You know, if they lose again, that is a that is a really long time to not that's be true. able to get over that hump. You know, and I think if it's if it's twenty to go and the scores are close, the 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 pressure all ticks back to Parramatta. You know, this is. This is all about them. This is all about their inability to take this mm-hmm. final step. 
despite all their quality, despite the great players that they have on their roster, despite the great wins that they've had over really good teams. This is, this is the level. This is the thing they haven't been able to get through, you know? So that might be constricting for Parramatta because they're a team that has struggled to play with pressure in the in play under pressure in the past, you know? So I think it's, 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 it's impossible to know what to expect from Canberra because as we've said many times on this show now, they are all just absolutely fucked in the head. Like no idea what they're going to do. Like it's part of why I love them, but it's also part of why they'll send me to like an early grave from like a footy perspective. The one thing that does worry me is if Pan- if Paris start playing with that great width that Moses and Marnie can give him, how they can swing the ball from side to side or from one side of the field to the other in two passes. And one of the only knocks I had on Canberra's, uh, came, Canberra's game against Melbourne was uh, Jordan Rapana racing in like a psychopath off the left wing. And I think part of that happened is because Rapana and Kotrick have switched sides in the last couple of weeks. All year, Rapana's been on the right wing. He's been on the left wing the last three weeks and it's vice versa with Kotrick. So the combinations with the centres aren't quite there. So when Rapana is faced with a difficult problem, he does what any good Raiders man does in that situation and he charges in like a fucking psychopath, you know? So I could definitely see uh, someone like Mitch Moses throwing a wild 30-metre cutout pass that flies over Rapana's head or something like that. Mm. I feel like that's the fault line in the Canberra defence. That and the, the combination between Whitehead and Fogarty because both of them have had their defensive moments this season and that's matching up on Sean Lane and we all know what, what a great season he's had. So mm. there's things in Canberra's team that Parramatta can exploit, but I'm, I'm feeling good about this one. I felt you like should. Canberra would win last week. I was confident all week. This week I feel like they they can win. You know what I yeah. mean? But well, it's a tough one. It's a tough you mentioned, one. You mentioned that the Raiders are the most chaotic team left in the field by some distance, which they are. But the thing about chaos is, Nick, is a ladder. And Parramatta <laughs> have been trying to climb that ladder every year since Brad Arthur's been there beyond the second week of the finals. But, you know, they sometimes they just fall and they keep falling and the climb is all there is for them. And with that in mind, I'm taking Canberra to win by four points. I can't tip this one properly because I'm... Emotionally I just wanted to do the chaos as a ladder emo- quote. I don't actually. And, yeah, and uno- unemotionally attached to the other team. Like, you know, I don't, I like the Raiders and I don't like the other one. And mm. I, um, I like both hope of these that the Raiders win it. So, um, you know, it's hard to think, so to see the Eels losing this at Combank, um, just how, you know, they've been the last five or six weeks, but, you know, Pat, the Raiders have shown the last few weeks or they had a level within they have, they had in them before that. So I actually don't know who was going to win, but I'm going to pick Canberra because that's what I want to happen. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, that is that is um, how I live my life, Mitch. Yeah. So you have to. Nick, who are you tipping? It. You won't believe this, boys. I'm tipping Canberra. I'm tipping the Canberra. Only... I'll go Canberra yeah. by sixty. No, I'll yep. go Canberra. I'll go Canberra by four. Let's say I. I do think Adam mm. Elliott's a bit of a loss for them. He's had a really good season. Mm. He really yeah. helps them move the ball. But Harawira and I was playing good footy at lock before um, Elliott came back from COVID. I think it was. Um, and I'm confident he can he can do the job for him as well. And I'm really stoked that Ryan Sutton's back in the team because the last two years he's been in Canberra's top 17 and got injured before the finals twice. Mm. And now, now that he's leaving, he's finally getting a chance to play in a final for him. And I think he's a really big inclusion because without him, they'd be looking at playing like Adam Ariotta or Trey Mooney or something like that, who are good young players, but only have like two or three games to their name. Bringing in Sutton, 
I think is really underrated and a really, really solid and aggressive front rower, I think is a really good thing for their rotation. If Canberra could come out and really put it on Parramatta early, similar to the way they did with the Storm, if they can rattle Parra's cage maybe in the first 15 minutes, then I think we got a ball game. Yep. All right. Um, NRLW, before we go, three very good games as well this week. The Roosters locking up the minor premiership. Um, let's quickly run through them. Uh, Titans, Eels, boys, any thoughts? Apart from Steph Hancock repeatedly scoring tries, which is awesome. Uh, yeah, the Eels, that season's done, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Based on that. Yeah, I haven't got many thoughts on that one, though. I, I didn't watch much of it. I've watched the highlights, so I'm not equipped to give you proper takes. Yeah, I missed that one as well, guys, I'm afraid. No dramas at all. Uh, the Dragons. Rachel Pearson's pretty good. Yeah, I thought this is what I thought this was a bit of a return to form for the Dragons. Like, yep. um, I know the Broncos aren't the power that they once were, but I feel I feel like the Dragons just really stuck to what worked for them last year, which is just trusting their forward pack to get over the opposition. You know what I mean? I thought um Elsie Albert had her best game of the year. Kezi Apps had one of the best games of her career, I thought. And they just kept it really tight, really simple, and just bashed Brisbane up the middle, you know? And, yeah. Um, the finish as well from Rachel Pearson, the field goal, I thought was really slick because one of the elements where the women's game is still finding its feet is with with kicking game, and she's got one of the best kicking games in the league. And mm. it's one of those ones, as soon as she kicked it, like it looked sweet off the boot, and it was just really professionally done, you know? And it was good stuff. It was good to see the Dragons sort of bounce back after that game against the Roosters. The, the funny thing I thought is, they were really disappointing. The funny thing is, though, we say Paris season's over, but I didn't realize the Titans are playing the Roosters this week. So if they, assuming they lose, if the Dragons beat the Broncos by six points, they make the finals. Yeah, so, um, the, I think the Roosters are resting most of their team this week. Oh, okay. There yeah. you go. But they can. They might, they, you know, they Sam Bremner's not playing. Um, oh, okay. It's a big There's a couple of goals back in, but they're making some changes. Uh, they're still a quality side, but I'm not sure yeah, by a game day if it'll be the same either. Um, I will say this one, uh, Brisbane scored more tries than the Dragons. Love those losses. <laughs> had eight line breaks to three. And I do think, as you said, I think the, the, the Dragons pack somewhat outperformed the Brisbane pack, but I thought that the game was there for taking for the taking as the Broncos and uh, mm. they could not kick any conversion. Their goal kicking has been terrible without uh, Lauren Brown. So that's true. They just take turns and they all suck at it. Taron Aiken <laughs> keep the last <laughs> yeah. one when Ali scored under the post. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the field one point field goal, first ever golden point women's field goal. So that's go. good. Second. Field I don't goal like, now, I don't like that. The Roosters look a lot better than everybody else. I know they only just won this game, but still. Now they look like the Broncos looked for the first couple of years. Yeah, exactly. You now they, they think they'll, they'll they should probably walk it in. But yeah, I thought Brisbane looked really dangerous anytime the ball got to Shazolka and Chapman. But uh, yeah, they didn't take advantage of that. It would be very yeah. funny if you finish with one win and four losses, make the finals, and win it from fourth. I would enjoy that. Yeah, no, they're not. I don't think they're good enough there. Um, I probably really wish Ali Brigginshaw go back to playing in the forward. Same thing for Australia for the World Cup. But I think she's mm. going to play halfback the whole time. There you go. All right. Uh, and before we get out of here, a quick thank you to the people. No, we didn't do the last game. There's one more game. Do we not? No, I, oh, I, I mentioned how good the Roosters are. Oh, well, that, no, that, we've that, got to mention the Knights that. too. I thought the Knights played great. <laughs> yeah. The Knights yeah. played great. I, th- I thought it was, it was one of those ones where it wouldn't surprise me if the Knights got more out of this than they would have if they'd won the game. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because if like... Now, now I think it was an important thing for them to take on the Roosters and and just compete and play really well because the Knights are coming up from nothing pretty much after not winning a game all the last mm. season. And now I think if they play him again in the finals, which it's looking like they're going to, they're probably going to play him in the grand final. I think they'll really fancy their chances. You know what I mean? They know that their systems can hold up under pressure and 
they know that if um, another day that they can beat that Roosters team. And I think that's really important considering how good the Roosters have looked and how far ahead of the pack they've looked. Mm. Yeah, the Roosters look like they're going to blow the game away in the first 20 or so. And every time the, the Knights got into a good ball, they were stagnant. They were throwing passes behind Southwell. They were turning the ball over. But Emma Man- uh, Manselman came on and she gave them so much direction. They looked so much better when she came on and played hooker. They played up the guts from there. And that's what they should have done the whole time when you have Millie Boyle, Caitlin Johnston, uh, you have Predabon. Like, that's a team built for yardage up the middle. And they did that and they got back into the game, got ahead. And unfortunately, you know, playing with playing with a uh, fire towards the end of the game through an intercept of Isabel Kelly, they probably should have played a bit more conservative at the end of that game. But as as uh, Campo said, they did show that out of all the teams, they're the one with the talent to hang, at least hang with the Roosters and absorb some pressure. And they didn't have to make it Upton in this game either. So they'll be thinking, come a final, they could be the team that could do it. But uh, I still felt, as you said, the Knights got ahead, and I still felt at some point the Roosters were going to come back and win it, just because they had that feeling this year. Yeah. Okay, well said. And before we get out of here, a quick thank you to the people in the top two tiers on our Patreon subscription service. They are Bronco from Birth, Chris Avnell, Dave, Rocky and Ruffy, Wayne Ritchie, Anthony Anger, Butsy, Cam Beswick, Chewbacca, Snuffleupagus, Dan Cullinane, Doc Hogg, an anonymous backer, Ed Burton, Frankie, Jace Felix Farnworth, James K. Jason, Joel Wrigley, Joey, Gooch, Josh Brandon, kicks Souths out of the comp. How'd that go for you, Dean, you prick? Lachlan Hancock, Leon, Lifelong Dolphins fan, Luke Ferguson, Matty Jenkins, Matthew Duggan, Michael Murray, Mr. Beefy, Morgan Watkins, my arms, they go flip flop, flip flop, flip, never trendy, party keg, Pete Fulcher, Razor, Reese Brown, Rowan Edwards, Roxanne Clark, Schneider. Field scores, Seymour Butts, Shanta, Simo, Stephen Hickey, Stone Gossard, Ty, TB, The Black Vegetable, The Not So Mature Student, The Titans are Cunts and I Hate Them, Thor Laycock, Tom Hardy, and Waz. Thank you so much for your support to everyone in the lower tiers and everyone who just listens. Thank you as well. Nick. Shouts uh, to Thor. If, I ran into him the other day. Oh, good. He's a good man. Um, uh, anything to promote that our tax dollars are paying for? Um, yeah, if you see rugby league stories on abcnet.au slash sport, I probably wrote them. So you should probably read them. Well said. All right. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow with question time. Say goodbye, Campo. Bye, guys. Say goodbye, Mitchell. Goodbye, Mitchell. And it's goodbye from me. <laughs>